it will be a big payday for a lot of people if the vaccine is mandated and whatnot. It's very complicated, this whole story, but 80% of the fear is completely overblown, I would say. I'm Luke Story. For the past 22 years, I've been relentlessly committed to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of spirituality, health, psychology, and personal development. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. This episode is brought to you by Four Sigmatic. I love this company. And what I love most about them is their instant coffee. Because 64% of us Americans drink coffee daily, but 100% of us should be drinking the Four Sigmatic mushroom coffee because it's more than just coffee. It's got lion's mane, which you may know is really good for your brain. It's my favorite medicinal mushroom. It helps with focus, productivity, and creativity. In fact, Buddhist monks for a very long time have been using lion's mane to help their focus during meditation. It also includes chaga, the king of mushrooms. But what is really cool about it is it's 100% organic. It's got no sugar, no carbs, no calories. It's it's a vegan, paleo, sugar-free, dairy-free, although mine's not dairy-free because I put butter or ghee in it. But the rad thing about it is that it has about half the caffeine of regular coffee, which is you know fine because you can just put two packets of it in your coffee if you want to go all out. But the mushroom coffee is way easier on my gut. It doesn't have that like jittery crash thing going on, probably because it doesn't have any mold (laughs) and it's really high quality coffee. But the very best thing about this is that they are easy to use packets you can take anywhere. So I put them in my suitcase and my backpack every time I travel, literally every single time. Uh, I've got the Four Sigmatic little, uh, you know, travel packets of coffee with me. It dissolves very easily in cold or hot water. So I'll use this on the airplane. I take it on road trips. Anytime I need a little boost of brain power or energy, I use the Four Sigmatic mushroom coffee. It's freaking amazing. I'm not even joking. Uh, I have a special offer for you, of course, as a a, a coveted audience member. You can get 15% off your Four Sigmatic order. Go to foursigmatic.com forward slash Luke Story. Enter the code Luke Story at checkout. That's L U K E S T O R E Y. And the website again is foursigmatic.com slash Luke Story. Spelled out, that's F O U R S I G M A T I C. Foursigmatic.com forward slash Luke Story. Save 15% off. Try this coffee out. You're going to freaking love it, guaranteed. Okay, it's time to put on your big boy and big girl pants, folks. We're sitting down with Nicholas Pinot talking about COVID-19, 5G, and the EMF crisis. Our guest, Nick, is one of the foremost experts on EMF in the world. He's also the author of the Non-Tinfoil Guide to EMFs, How to Fix Our Stupid Use of Technology. And uh, I think we're going to look back in history in the not-so-distant future at the way we use that technology. And we are indeed going to uh, find ourselves quite stupid. And we talk a lot about that in this episode. Uh, speaking of episodes, next week, we've got No Brain Left Behind, Becoming Limitless with Jim Quick. That's uh, this coming Tuesday. So make sure you subscribe to the show so you don't miss it. Now, there's a ton of info in this epic conversation with Nick. 
So to make sure you get the complete show notes for every episode like this in the future, you got to join the email list. It's easy to do. You go to lukestory.com forward slash newsletter. That's lukestory.com forward slash newsletter. Get on that list and I'm not going to send you anything except all of the complete show notes and links and even links to the complete transcripts for every single future episode. It's pretty awesome. It's a high value newsletter and that's pretty much all I send you. That or if I do an event or something like that. But uh, as you know, I don't really have anything to sell at this point in my life. When I do, maybe I'll email that to you and you can unsubscribe if you want to. But for now... I think you'd be uh, highly served by getting all of the information that our guests share with us every Tuesday and sometimes Friday, uh, as in the case of this show today. Here's what we discuss in this super deep dive episode. The possible links between COVID-19 and 5G. And no, he and I are not claiming that 5G causes COVID-19, which the mainstream media would lead you to believe as a conspiracy theory that I don't think anyone's even spouted. Uh, It's the correlation, not the causation. Uh, But anyway, um, we were just going to be talking about EMFs. And then I noticed that Nick had written this 12,000 word article on COVID-19, which by the way, you can find at the emfguy.com slash blog slash coronavirus. And he took a really sort of objective uh, point of view about all the things that we're seeing unfold at this time and uncovered a number of different facts that I thought were really interesting, uh, such as the fact that we're locking down entire countries to stop the coronavirus and that the consequences are and will be disastrous and perhaps even more fatal than the virus itself in the end. Uh, The idea that the confirmed cases of COVID-19 are, well, not so confirmed The quote, end quote, confirmed deaths from COVID-19 are not so confirmed either. The WHO's panic-inducing death rates are akin to comparing apples to oranges. Uh, The overall mortality rates from respiratory infections have still not increased significantly. A slew of international experts warn that the danger of COVID-19 has been dangerously overblown And that the data confirms that lockdowns are possibly useless and most surely damaging to our economy. And as Nick points out, uh, perhaps people's uh, psychology as well. So uh, he's got a very different point of view than you might find in in the mainstream media about what's going on. And, And also, I would say, as far as a contrarian point of view, he's also very open minded and neutral about it at the same time. So if you're looking for an extremely radical point of view on this issue, uh, this will not be the episode for you. It's it's a bit more tame and uh, and logical and unemotional, I would say. Uh, whereas some of the other shows that I've done around this and will continue to do are quite controversial. Uh, now, I also want to let you know that if for any reason you don't really want to hear about all of the COVID nineteen stuff and you're just you know, becoming bored with that whole issue. About an hour and 45 minutes into this conversation, we switch gears completely and move on to breaking down the latest developments in the 5G rollout, how the telecommunications industry covers for their crimes, uh, what their next plans are for the 5G deployment, how to determine how bad your area is right now where you live or work, uh, the best ways to protect yourself and your family. And the problem with trying to use EMF meters yourself as an untrained novice to determine your exposure levels. The fact is that most meters don't measure EMF radiation over 8 gigahertz. And the meters that do 
are incredibly expensive. So he's currently working on a project called metercrisis.com with Brian Hoyer, one of my former guests and friends, uh, to solve this problem for people. So if you're confused by all of the EMF noise in the media right now, I think this is going to be a really great episode for you. And if you're uh, baffled by the conflicting reports on COVID-19 and all of the uh, related government shutdown, et cetera, I think this is going to help give you some clarity and at least cause you to think about things in a different way and hopefully somehow make it all make sense. So with that, let's welcome to the show, Nicholas Pino, and make sure to get yourself on the email list ASAP at lukestory.com forward slash newsletter so you never miss the show notes. Here we go into the eye of the storm. Enjoy the ride. So, dude, what a weird time we're living in right now, right? Yeah, I don't know if the word is uh, well chosen. I mean, weird. It's 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 more than weird for me. Very bizarre. I'm 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 here at my father's place with my two year old and my wife. We don't have an apartment. We were supposed to be in uh, in California around that time. Remember, uh, we were supposed to meet at the Upgrade Labs conference. I was supposed to be in California until April 15th and then go back to Montreal a little bit and then be in Prague for two months. We uh, we were looking for apartments. So when the whole story broke out, well, we decided we were in Japan, you know, in, um, first in Osaka and then in Kyoto and we had to take an early flight to go back to Montreal. Uh, and then we arrived kind of at my father's place in the countryside because we're like, well, we don't have a place to stay in the Airbnb apartment now. They're either unavailable or super expensive. So we just decided to live here in the countryside. So just bizarre turn of event. And I'm sure everyone has their own version of that story, but that's mine. And I'm still... Yeah, uh, it's been... Uh, a I, it's a very difficult patch for me because I, I like controlling my life. I mean, you're, as an as entrepreneur, I'm sure you can rely, relate. So I had a bit of a, I'd say one or two weeks of freak out, <laughs> which uh, I was uh, very angry at the whole situation, kind of not being able to be on stage at, at the Upgrade Labs conference and whatnot. And then the shock of the crisis and the uncertainty and... Uh, geez, what a stressful moment for everyone. It's, uh, yeah, it's hard to cope with. Uh, very difficult. Yeah, it's a, it's a really strange, strange, strange time we live in. Uh, one can only hope that this is the beginning of what will be a transformation of many elements in our society from the media on, right? Because now that we have access to alternative points of view, such as the ones we're going to be talking about today. Yeah. I feel that there is a real awakening happening right now, but it's it's like for many of us being sort of shaken out of your slumber, right? <laughs> it's like you have <laughs> a nice little nap and someone comes along and puts, you know, like drops a bucket of ice water on your head. I think that's what's happening kind of collectively now where we're questioning so many things. And I think ultimately it's going to be a positive outcome, but in the interim, it really has been uh, quite a disruption and and so many people have fallen ill and all sorts of things like that too. I know, you know, like imagine all the people out of work and just the craziness that's ensuing around the planet. Um, I'm just, I'm, hold, I'm holding on to the idea that ultimately this will be a net positive because of the ripple effect of unplugging so many people from the matrix. Because it's such a bold, uh, yeah. it's such a bold and brazen move by the establishment 
to, it's just such a, like a, a, it's such an insane power grab all at once that a lot of people are going, wait, what? So we'll, we'll get into some of that. But anyway, I'm, I'm glad, you know, I'm glad you're safe and you and your family found some refuge at your pop's place in the countryside. And, you know, you're, you're fortunate, of course, to be able to be there as I am here in my house in LA. I was just out in the backyard, sunbathing, taking a nice ice bath. You know, it's like, I don't really notice much different personally because I just love to be home. And the work that I do is here in the office, in the studio. And, um, you know, I of course feel for the people who are like stranded somewhere and on a freaking cruise ship and so yeah. many worse things that be going on. But I'm just kind of like using it as an opportunity to go within and also to really focus on creating some great content and sharing information with people. Yeah, it's the same thing for me, Luke, you know, and, and I don't want to start this interview and people like tune out like, hey, he's complaining about his life. He can still work remotely. I mean, in the end, I'm still able to still have a job, but geez, I guess I just wanted to share like my side of how difficult it was, but it's a fraction, honestly, of of what I've seen, even in the immediate like population here, people who are stressed out of their mind. Sometimes it's because of the virus and sometimes it's because they lost all their revenue. Some people lost everything they invested because it was uh, because of the market crash. I mean, my my main concern at the moment, we can get we'll we'll get into the the conclusion. But my heart goes to everyone listening to this, and that they, they feel that uh, that despair because oh my god, society is kind of <laughs> going like being blown apart right now. Or if you, you you don't have revenue, I mean, yeah, I'm I'm in a very good position, and for for me the. Um, I guess the 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 thing I'm grateful for for this crisis at the moment already is that I I found myself you know after a freakout period of about a good week in Japan and coming back to Montreal and not wanting to anything to do with COVID I I had started to read a little bit about COVID and it was so fear inducing in me that uh, I just started. Uh, like even being insomniac a little bit, I never did that in my entire life. I'm I'm 30, 32. So uh, I decided, you know what? I'm done. I'm done with COVID. I'll just ignore. It doesn't exist anymore. I was w- very, very frustrated, to be honest. <laughs> uh, so kind of in, in denial mode, I guess, that that that, that morning, uh, it was about three week, three four weeks ago now. And uh, that very afternoon, I kind of changed my mind. I said, you know what? I probably need to do the opposite. And one reader in particular, who's a, a longtime collaborator of mine, sends me a lot of news around EMS and 5G developments. He's, he's, a, he's an engineer and inventor and whatnot. I have a lot of these contacts that I don't talk about because they don't want to be named. But anyway, that guy said, well, Nick... I understand and respect your position that you are a bit overwhelmed by the situation. Don't want to talk about it because that's that's what I I had told him, I guess, the day before. And he told me, well, you probably need to do the opposite. Like you're a guy who's able to get to the bottom of stories. And if you get to the bottom of that story, uh, you'll you'll get a sense of relief if you really understand what's what's happening. Because anxiety is also, it's caused by the fear of the unknown. Something could happen. So is it a killer virus is going to kill millions? Is it not? Is it a power grab? Is it a conspiracy? What is it, right? Just Just being in the midst of completely not understanding what's what the heck is happening and uh, the countries are closing down and flights being delayed and it was really the uncertainty that was making me freak out literally 
so I came back here at my at my father's place and I basically spent every minute of every day, canceled all my other plans or for two, three weeks, I just uh, worked on a single article trying to summarize what the heck is happening and and trying to have a balanced view because it's, it's important. Some people listening to this will think I'm a little bit too gentle, but that's my style. I, I don't get into... Even I know about the conspiracies. I know about the, the big bad people who sometimes have corporate agendas that are literally evil. Uh, I don't. I don't use these words. I don't use very strong words. That's that's. I think how I can better communicate. I'm someone who's trying to always be. Uh, I guess a diplomat, trying to find the best intentions out of people. Sometimes it's a little bit too much. I guess uh, a little bit too Canadian in in some people's uh, tastes. But at the same time, it makes it makes me able sometimes to convince people that uh, we're not being we're not. Not convinced by the conspiracy stuff, by the the too out there, too strong approach. So I find myself very, very uh, uh, middle, and I try to leave the politics out of it. And I try in in my work around coronavirus was really looking at the scientific data and what it says about the danger. And of course, I, I heard about the other things and the agendas and this and this and and the conflicts of interest. And I studied that as well and five G. But you know what? I decided to not even include EMFs in my article about coronavirus, even though there were all these rabbit holes everywhere. And some some of my readers asked me, like, why did you do that? You're the EMF guy. You're not talking about EMFs in your article. Although, uh, and you interviewed him, uh, Dr. Tom Cohen talked about it, the, the, link, the possible link between kind of the the increase in electrosmog that happened in Wuhan and, and, and different countries, including Italy, so including New York City. So there's a lot of links, right, between electrosmog or a lot of, I guess, correlation, not, the, not necessarily causation in the EMF story. But I decided to actually not go there because in the end, my finding is that Overall, when you look at the coronavirus issue, uh, it's, it's just not, not as deadly as, as everyone was making it to be. So I don't really have to find a culprit for something that's not that deadly. If millions would have died, I would have, uh, I would have had a, a different discourse. But I mean, at the moment, even looking, I was just looking at the tracker right now as we're recording this April 16th. Yeah. 30,000 deaths in the U.S. is very concerning. Uh, in certain countries are are more concerning to me, and that's arguable. We'll get into that if, if these deaths are really caused by COVID or something else. But around the world, it's still a, a minute number. I don't want to sound insensitive. I'm just talking science here and stats, right? Every death counts. If, if it's someone I know, I would, I would be extremely sad about it. So I don't, I don't want to sound like, like a jerk. But what I mean is if you compare 140K deaths worldwide, maybe it's, it's going to get to 250K, who knows? But still, the fact remains that uh, respiratory infections will kill 2.6 million people worldwide every year. We don't lock down uh, a third of the planet for that, right? So just to put it in comparison, it's still uh, something that's re- reasonably small as far as death toll goes, but it's not small in the way the world has reacted to it. And the consequences of our reaction is not small either. It's unprecedented. So I guess that I'll just uh, take my catch my breath here for yeah. a second. <laughs> That's great. And for those listening, uh, at the time of this recording, it's April 16th, yeah. 20. And uh, as we were discussing earlier, 
you know, my podcast release calendar is usually recorded months in advance. So I don't know where this one is going to fit in and even where we're going to be in terms of statistics or developments or information or lockdown by the time this comes out, because I don't know when it's going to come out right at the second. I'll probably push it out as soon as I can because it's timely. Um, But I also want to rest uh, assured that we're definitely going to be talking about the EMF issue as a whole. I've done a lot about it and I'm sort of at this point, like, I, I, I th- think almost, I don't, I don't need to do any more shows about it. <laughs> I mean, I just published one and we've talked about that, you know, too, when we talked about doing the show, I'm like, well, I don't know, man, I've done so many shows, but it's also a topic that so many people are confused about, especially when you get into the 5G. And so I think we can, you know, definitely dive into that. But I, I am curious to get more of your take on this. When I was looking at your blog post, which we'll put in the show notes, but can also be found at the emfguy.com slash blog slash coronavirus. So the emfguy.com is your site and people can find this blog. But I didn't look through, uh, I didn't read every single uh, bit of it, but I did give it kind of a skim over and I took down the eight facts that you lay out in there, which I think are really fascinating. Again, coming at this from a logical, pragmatic neutral place, as I as I uh, heard you say, which is a wise way to approach it because you don't want to polarize people on either side. Yeah. Um, but I, I'd love if we could just kind of break down some of the, the actual facts that you've discovered uh, sure. based on those eight. And I don't expect you to memorize every single point, but whatever you can remember, if we could perhaps do kind of a truncated version of your blog post, because I think it was really neutral and comprehensive and also quite accurate. Yeah, thank you. Well, we we can we can start, but I think was what is the at the moment my my opinion changed a little bit. Uh, by the time I, I I finished my article, just reading my article the day before publication, I was like, eh, I, I would have written something else. And that's when you know that a crisis is evolving so fast, right? But at the moment, there's a few facts that are happening worldwide that, to me, uh don't make sense. I haven't found a single person be, who's been able to really um, uh, confront me on this and and prove me otherwise. And these these facts are highly inconvenient and show that, or quite they they indicate at the moment it could change, right? But they indicate strongly that our reaction to COVID was an overreaction, and of course. Uh, you can listen to this and say, "Well, April April 16, you're kind of uh, you're 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 kind of d- doing the job of a populist right now, saying, "Oh, I was right; these guys were wrong, and they should have known." Right? Well, yeah, that's arguable too. Right? What should we have done? And what was the data at the time the decisions were taken? But you know, there my my main point is that I've been following some scientists that from the get-go did not think that uh, the mortality rates or how COVID was being tested or any of that stuff uh, was um, was precise enough to, to really take good decisions. Uh, some of these scientists are extremely credible at the top of of, of their uh, of their fields, and I can name some of them afterwards. But 
I, these guys made a lot of sense. Of course, I, I'm a contrarian uh, and I'm looking for, for examples of why this isn't serious because in the end, I, I remember H1N1, there, were, there was a lot of controversy at the end. The CDC was accused of uh, doing really, really bad stuff by <laughs> investigative journalists after the fact, kind of hiding the number and overblowing the entire thing. In the end, it was pretty much a non-crisis if you look at history. And that's just 10 years ago. People have, of course, forgotten about it like we tend to do. And I had forgotten about it because 10 years ago, I wasn't really researching that much. I just remember not thinking it was serious, but it was just out of, I guess, gut instinct or even some could call it stupidity. I mean, in the end, I wasn't informed about H1N1. I was just, oh, maybe it's not serious. Could have been serious. I could have been wrong. Now I consider myself more informed. So when I say coronavirus isn't a problem, I'm not arguing that it doesn't kill anyone. Uh, it's 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 killing people. Uh, what I'm arguing about is really is it are lockdowns effective? And what consequences uh, from the lockdown um, will there be? And are these uh, accounted for? I was listening to uh, Dr. Uh, David Katz from from Yale, who's a very mainstream scientist, very respected in the U.S. And he just he just did an interview that has been posted uh, five days ago, I think, um, or no, it's actually last week on the ninth. And um, he, he was saying basically we need to look when there's a problem like this, and we are doing interventions like this, which is uh, either a complete lockdown or enough uh, restrictions to society that uh, there are, there's an, uh, an associated economic devastation. Well, you got to look at both what the economic devastation is going to do as far as increasing suicides, addictions, domestic violence, um, and whatnot. There's a lot of consequences. These are, uh, are um, called uh, debts of despair. There's an umbrella term in science in in I guess that would be social studies. Uh, so studying the effects that economic crises have had on the health of a population, right? So you do have deaths of despair if you have people that go in poverty. So that's one side of the equation. The other side is how many lives you can save, right? So if you don't look at how many lives you can save and how many lives you could take from an intervention, then you're kind of, um, I guess, Putting your head in the sand. So that's my first, my first problem at the moment. My first premise is it's a huge mistake to not have a public debate and, and not be talking about the consequences of the lockdown on certain populations, including people in, that have uh, addictions, uh, including people that have uh, horrible mental health to start with, depressive tendencies, suicidal tendencies, uh, people that are lonely and that at the moment are just more lonely, right? So the consequences of, of, of the lockdowns, it's as if at the moment I feel like it's uh, something controversial to talk about somehow because it's insensitive. Well, is it like what life is more important? Someone who, uh, someone who dies from COVID, which is tragic, or someone who kills 
who kills himself. That's tragic too. So if each life is important, then not talking about the lives that a, an economic crash will cause or will take, uh, it isn't, uh, it's not ethical. It's not the right thing to do. And I think it's downright irresponsible, uh, to, to talk about just the lives that we save and not the lives that we kill. And it's inconvenient, but that's the reality of it that if the economy crashes the way we're seeing it crash, I have one friend in particular who I, I, I personally consider my, I guess my personal guru in investing because he's, he's a guy who's been doing just that for the best of the last decade, I think. And he's, he's making good returns. And even during this crisis, he's like a plus, plus 20% with Bitcoins and gold and whatnot. And he's like, yeah, I'm not I, like the, the market wasn't stable. So he, this guy knows what he's talking about. And it's just one guy, but the economist, right? And, and the people he follows, well, they say that this is an unprecedented economic crash that will probably be the worst in that modern society is seen. So if that's true, then the consequences of this economic crash, and um, at the moment in the US, it's 20 million um, job losses in the last three weeks. I don't know if the numbers have been updated, but as I was uh, doing the article, there was 6 million, then they added another six, then they added another six. So we're what, between 18 and 20 million as we're recording this. There are consequences of people losing their job. And of course, you can say, well, okay, well, some people are going to regain their job back. We're going to try to restart the economy. Sure. But when you look at precedent, I'd, I'm not an economist, but it, it's not unlikely that there will be, it, it's, it's very unlikely, in fact, that there will be no consequences <laughs> to that entire, like stopping the economy and food rotting in the middle of, uh, of the fields, right? So, I guess the first point is, okay, well, what do we know about deaths of despair? And can we put that into the models when trying to decide? Because in the end, it's not favoring, um, favoring one person, one death for another, but it's kind of accounting for all of society when you do a lockdown measure. Because lockdowns, right, it's a, it's a new way of confronting a pandemic. In the past, it, it was other things like, well, social distancing could, could have been done or could have been enforced in some way or another, large gatherings and whatnot. But in certain countries, they're, they're doing uh, different versions of the US lockdown that's about, I, I think it's half the states right now that are in complete lockdown, right? 158 million Americans. I'm I'm embarrassingly um, unaware of what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> I literally only know. I was talking to someone a couple of days ago, just in Northern California, and and I was like, "Well, you guys don't have the lockdown thing, right?" And they're like, uh, "Yeah, the whole country." <laughs> As you know, I was like, oh, I thought it was just LA and New York. I'm totally oblivious. So I, I, admittedly, that's why I talk to people like you that... Yeah. I, I mean, I'm looking at other sides of this, you know, on a more, I think, macro level than I am. What's yeah. Particular state and things like that. But anyway, gotcha. But yeah, exactly. At one point, it was 158 million. And uh, I'm... Because the definition even of a lockdown varies from each state. So is it that you cannot go outside the state? Is it that uh, all all businesses are closed? Or is it a partial closure? Of so it varies from country to country. But Sweden and different countries, some countries have actually taken an approach that's not the same, where you social distance, you keep a distance, you try to stay home, but it's let's say it's less enforced. It, here in Quebec, you can get a $1,000 fine if... if 
a, a policeman sees you talking with someone else and you're at less than two meters, six feet. So there's, it's being enforced at the moment in Quebec. And when I came back from my trip to Japan, I had the, the, uh, the recommendation from the federal government from Canada to self-isolate for 14 days. Three days later, it changed to, to the law being enforced. So basically, I had to quarantine 14 days, not even going for a walk, or I could have been fined uh, seven, uh, 750K Canadian or prison time. So, and I don't know, my brother announced that to me. He's like, yeah, stay home, dude. Uh, I'm... And I'm like, 750K? Like, if they said 10K, it would have been ruined. Like, 10K? Oh my God. Like, it's still a huge. So I don't know why the big number. It's almost fear mongering to me. It just doesn't make like, it's like we're going to find you a million dollars. The average person doesn't have 10, 10K to, to spare. So <laughs> it's, Indeed. yeah, it's, it's just bizarre. Anyway, so. If if we if we take so that's of despair. It's just one thing. I, maybe I can read read some part of my article where there there's one PhD in particular, and I, I guess we can find PhDs that would say, "Oh, that's of despair." Maybe isn't a big deal, but there's there's precedent in in different pandemics, and we know that uh, it, there there could be devastating uh, loss of lives based on deaths of despair. There's one guy I want to talk about who was on the uh, Dale Big Tree uh, show, the the High Wire, and uh, oh, okay, that's an anti-vaxxer thing, blah blah. blah. Don't tune out. Okay, this guy is on many shows. Who cares where where he was? I I, I know a lot of people kind of right now. It's very charged, but uh, pl- please just keep an open mind. I I see so many people kind of reacting like, oh, anti-vaxxer, this that. I'm not anti anything. Personally, uh, and 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 I'm a Canadian, so I'm not even a Democrat or a Republican. So it's even better because I don't care about American uh, politics per se, because I'm just a Canadian. And and Trudeau is just scared of of this entire thing, and he's completely out of out of his mind at the moment. But who who cares, right? So I don't have any any uh, political preference. I just want the the data to speak for itself. So. Uh, this guy is Toby Rogers, PhD. And in my article, basically, I, I, I talked about one blog post he did. And he looked at, at the data that we have uh, over the period of uh, 1940 and 1973. And basically, he says that uh, a number one increase in the uh, unemployment rate sustained over, the, over a period of six years has been associated with increases of 36,000 deaths. And this includes 20,000 deaths from cardiovascular deaths because of overall anxiety and whatnot, uh, 1,000 suicides, 648 homicides, uh, deaths from cirrhosis of the, level, uh, of the liver, uh, 4,000 deaths from state uh, mental uh, uh, mental hospitals uh, admissions and 3,000 state prison admission. So there's precedent that when you increase just 1% unemployment, there's trouble coming around the corner. Right now, it has increased way more, way, way, way more than that. And of course, we can recuperate that. We can try to re- revitalize the economy, but it's silly. Anyone who's pro or against vaccines or pro COVID and against it? Is it super dangerous? Is it not? Who cares? But ignoring the consequences of lockdowns is just kind of postponing our problems to later. We need to include everyone, including 
what will happen because we're already seeing we're, we're kind of living a miniature or a small crisis here because it's small i guess a small province of quebec 8.6 8. million people that loneliness and, and the fact that elder the elderly some some of them not in their 90s or even uh early hundreds years old cannot see anyone from their family they're in lockdown and the consequences of that alone is is very hard on their health and it's kind of there's there's a almost a public scandal around that because they're starting to realize my my god it's been weeks and and these people uh, sometimes they cannot even call relatives so it's been I think there's been uh, again a lack of staff of, of funding. I'm not I'm not blaming anyone here, but it's just a reality that some elderly have been in their room for four weeks. Uh, it's it's like we need to think about everyone, include everyone. So the the populations that are at risk, sure, from COVID, and also the people that are just in a bad uh, mental space uh, even before COVID, and that now it's just getting worse and worse from the anxiety. So it means supporting suicide hotlines like never before and, and taking care of everyone if we want to reduce the overall toll to society, not just COVID. I think it's sometimes we're a little bit myopic about, oh, the virus danger, virus, virus, virus. Yes, for sure. It's, it, it's something that's there. It's it's important, but it there's also other aspects to it, and and some doctors are starting to speak out to the effect that now that people are staying at home, well, the the if we have a maintained lockdown, for example, for several months, well, people aren't going to uh, get checked up for I don't know uh, uh, for breast cancer uh, exams and for different things that now we're going to see start seeing mortal from. Uh, doctors who cannot do their job for other things than just COVID-related stuff. So it's important to account for all of this when taking decisions. If we're only thinking uh, right now, I, I, we're kind of, I guess the, the entire world is in a crisis mode, COVID, COVID, COVID. Yes, but let's think about including everyone and all of society in discussion. And this, this interview by Dr. David Katz, I'll send you a link afterwards. You can include it in the show notes, but uh, he, he's not, uh, he's someone that doesn't conclude anything. He's a scientist. He's very calm about the matter. And, and one thing he stressed in an article, and that was weeks ago, it was beginning of March, is exactly that. He, he, he just stated calmly, you know what, we can go in, in, in lockdown, but let's not forget the consequences of a of a potential lockdown and what we're going to do after and how to support all of society. You know what, Luke? I haven't seen that in. I'm looking at the news every day. I have barely seen anyone in the news anywhere talking about the, the, this important aspect, as if it's something dangerous to say. But I mean, it will happen regardless of whether we think it's uh, something comfortable to say or not. Uh, it's not saying it's it's not to. Uh, Argue that COVID deaths are less important than something else, but if we are to follow the this uh, kind of silly or easy argument that every life matters, every life matters, we have to save everyone. Okay, cool. Well, let's save also people that are going to kill themselves. I mean, it's 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 horrible, right? And I talk to uh, other people that are um, very close to nonprofit organization in like suicide hotlines. And there, some of them are just exploding at the moment. I don't have the stats, but it's just logical, right? It's just very logical that if you're suicidal before COVID, well, right now it's the world that's scary, the scariest period I've experienced in my life. Even 9-11, I, I, I was 
way younger, obviously, but and I maybe I didn't comprehend the geopolitic implications and uh, <laughs> the war against terrorism. It was kind of a, a movie in my in my mind, maybe, but now it, it's 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 something. It's like a cold war against a virus that's very very powerful in people's minds. So that would be my my number one argument is we cannot ignore debts of despair. And anyone who ignores it by by choice is just, I think it's just very, uh, it's putting our heads in the sand. And we have to, uh, when thinking about solutions, we're right, you want this to be solution focused. Well, okay, if we lock down, some people have proposed, and, and I think that's that's just preposterous. 18 months of lockdown, life will never go, like we cannot revitalize the economy. We should lock, lock the entire world down for, for months until the vaccine arrives. It's, it, it just won't happen. It's impossible because too many people will die from the lockdown itself, right? So the goal as a society is to find like how to protect people that maybe are more uh, at risk from COVID while also, well, making sure that we start this machine. And, and the argument that I'm seeing at the moment, there's, there's, there's activism, especially in the US and I'm seeing, I, I know in Michigan, there's been uh, thousands and thousands of people protesting that we need to, to, to start the machine again. And, and um, I, I, cannot, uh, I cannot help but agree at the moment based on my big fear that the death of despair will be un- unprecedented and that uh, also that the, the data doesn't show that, um, that everyone will drop dead from COVID, really far from that. Well, yes, thank you for that. And one thing you mentioned kind of in the beginning of that uh, breakdown was people suffering from addictions. And one of the things that I've noticed from the beginning as someone who whose very life really depended on the ability to have gatherings um, in in 12-step groups and and whatnot yeah. for a long, long time. And especially in the very beginning part of my journey, I mean, uh, I needed to be around that kind of support at least once, if not a couple times a day. I mean, that was just like, I, I, there's no way I could have ever made it without that fellowship, you know? And um I think about all of the millions of people around the world who are newly recovered from alcoholism or drug addiction and don't have the ability to have that human connection and human touch and love and support that makes early recovery possible. And it's just, you know, a lot of people, I know I've observed people are moving to Zoom meetings and things like that. And I'm, I'm sure that's helpful and way better than nothing, but like, oh man. Yeah. I really feel for for people that are in that position and and for someone who's not been so afflicted I think it's difficult if not impossible to project what that would be like if you've not had that experience it's like well so what like just wait a few weeks and you'll you know you can go back and do your thing as normal it just doesn't work like that um it's an hour by hour sometimes minute by minute minute game of uh, survival when you're recovering from addictions and your connection to other people in that group setting and that support is is your lifeblood, especially in the first couple months, if not even couple of years. So it's just that part of it is is tragic. And I, you know, there's no way probably to get accurate mathematical uh, statistics on what the yeah. cost is, but I'm certain that in alignment with everything you just said, that's going to be a huge cost on society and um and some really big numbers are going to be affected just from that one you know minute 
portion of the population, let alone everything else. Um, let's move into, you know, when talking about the statistics and if we're looking at, uh, you know, these these other ways in which people might be affected, something that I think is really bizarre about this whole thing and that's starting to unfold because you have people within the medical industry acting as whistleblowers now going like, hey, we're not, we're just, you know, we're changing people's death certificates now to COVID after the fact. Um, There's people that are dying of all sorts of different pre-existing conditions. And if they test positive for COVID, it's being counted as a COVID death. So in your fact number two, the confirmed cases of COVID uh, are not so confirmed. What at this moment on April 16th, what do you know about that side of it? Like, can we even trust the numbers? Because it seems to me that we definitely can't. Yeah, that's a, that's a huge problem. And, and I mean, we could argue for, for, for both. Both arguments could be true. We don't know the real number of cases through the number of cases that we're, we're, we're thinking are cases of COVID, probably a lot of them are not COVID cases or are also people afflicted with other viruses or other infections that could in, in the end kill them. And that's a huge uh, problem that we're facing at the moment because th- there's, there's a few indications right now that uh, let's take Europe. Because Europe at the moment, uh, they've seen pretty much the worst of the crisis, even in Sweden, where a lot of people kind of said, uh, you're not doing a complete lockdown. They've been accused of being uh, very careless because it's basically the only, the only country in, in, in Europe that, to my knowledge, that has decided to have, let's say, uh, more lax um, techniques to 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 contain the virus so just social distancing is gatherings above uh 50 people that are that are considered uh, unlawful so i guess if people are still going to restaurants to bars it's just uh that the attendance the maximum attendance is reduced uh there are of course there there's a bunch of different things that they're doing but what they're not doing is a complete lockdown the way we've seen it in a third of the planet, at least. So um, what we're seeing at the moment is that across the board in Europe, the overall mortality rates, so that's how many people died this year so far, January 1st, April 16th, compared to previous years, it's similar or slightly elevated. So it's not... So elevated that it is unprecedented. So many people have died, and this includes Italy. And the second number that we want to look at is the the deaths from respiratory infections. So anything that could be mistakenly thought. So this includes flu, but also bacterial infections or other causes of pneumonia, for example. So this entire uh, agglomerate of people who die from respiratory infections, the overall mortality rates from that has not increased that much. It is slightly elevated in in certain what we could call epicenter like Italy, like France. Uh, But that's, that's about it. So these, I don't know exactly, and it has to do, there's a lot of um, hype, 
hypothesis around why Italy or why France or why this and why that, then we won't know before more science comes out. So I don't want to get into, into speculation. But the, the fact is that they have seen or looking at the, the number of uh, total cases and total deaths and how it evolves over time, they have seen the peak uh, of their of their crisis, and it's actually now the numbers are starting to to climb down. Sweden has announced three days ago that they've seen the worst. Denmark has reopened school as of yesterday, uh, and some scientists in Denmark are starting to say maybe a lockdown was a bad idea, considering that we were re- very ready to handle that crisis. It was smaller than expected, so they're far ahead of us in North America as far as the the evolution and the spread of the virus goes and and yet the mortality rates are not are not up that much they're not more elevated than 2017 and 2017 flu season was especially deadly so that's one problem i have with it is that you know overall we can argue about many things we can argue about okay is it that from COVID, a real death from COVID. And um, we, we do see that 99% of uh, Italians that have died with, um, with COVID had co um, exi- well pre-existing conditions. So th- this can include the high blood pressure, diabetes, cancer, or two immunity. There's a few of them that are listed uh, in, in scientific studies. So it, it, it basically tells you, it doesn't tell you that COVID wasn't the one thing that, 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 Finally, kill them. It's 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 complicated, and I I, I couldn't. I, I have emailed a lot of journalists about that, and no one can give me a clear answer of how COVID-related deaths are reported differently than flu deaths, for example. And it's not simple because from country to country, you'll have different uh, things that you can write on death certificates, different standards, and it, it varies from country to country. So it's very very confusing. But in the end, let's forget all that and put all that aside. If COVID led to excess mortality, it would have meant that COVID was on top of flu, right? There's the flu deaths, and then you add COVID and you add pneumonias that normally occur. But at the moment, since overall mortality hasn't increased that much, barely more than 2017 or equal as 2017, we're just looking at a, at a difficult or especially deadly flu season for, for which we have never done much, right? There, there hasn't been any intervention that has been made special except supporting the ICUs and trying uh, doctors fighting, again, seeing Thousands of deaths, right? In Italy, it's 68,000 people who have died in the last four flu season. 68,000 people. So that's a lot of Italians that if you want to, again, sensationalistic media has, has, has shown like the graves and oh, bodies are piling up. Well, there, hey, folks, bodies are piling up every winter. Right, that's something that we have never maybe realized as a uh, as a global, I guess, or, or on social media or people in people consciousness. But every winter, people die, and a lot of it from the flu, from the regular flu. Most of them are old, and most of them have pre-existing conditions. So, in other words, they have uh, a cr- compromised immunity. They're old. Uh, and I'll say old. When I'll be sixty-five, if you t- if you say you're old, I'll probably be very angry. Sorry about that. But you're, some of them are, are in. Then most of them that are dying are uh, on average in Italy. I think it was eighty-one year old. So I guess you're are older 
or I want to be politically correct with people that are 80 and in perfect health, but they're not in good health, generally speaking. In Italy, you have a lot of uh, older folks that are uh, heavy smokers, especially men. So uh, keeping that in mind, it makes sense at the moment to hypothesize that a lot of COVID deaths previously would have been something else. So, and, and Stanford has done one early publication on that uh, just released last week. And they found that 25% of all COVID uh, positive patients also have at least one co-infection. And that's an important finding because it means that you can look at uh, 30,000 deaths in the US and maybe you would have uh, seven or 8,000 deaths that in fact could have died from the flu uh, if it wasn't like like what killed them, is it the flu or is it COVID? And sometimes you cannot know because we we can have different. It's like uh, bad bacteria, right? You can have overgrowth of uh, a certain fungi and candida, and you can also have viruses, and you can also have heavy metals. And then what kills you in the end if you're toxic, right? It's it's a slew of different things that can kill someone. So there's a lot of indication at the moment that, um, and what concerns me a lot is that some scientists at the moment, and this is just so damning to me that that they're saying that, but but that's what they're saying is, if we let let try to imagine, it's difficult, but try to imagine for a second that uh, we don't know about COVID, we don't test anyone, we just don't know it exists, and all the the, the, the hysteria of the last months disappears. If you look at the stats, mortality rates, you would look at that and you would say, um, what's happening around the world? You, you would have difficulty to find something abnormal that's going on around the world. You would identify Italy, you would say, wow, Italy, a lot of people have died. And then you would compare with 2017, you would say, well, that's pretty much like 2017. Unfortunately, 2017 was deadly and so is 2020. You would say that and you would say people have died from, let's say, respiratory infections. That would include like pneumonia-like symptoms that, that, that COVID causes, although COVID does seem to have certain particularity to it. Uh, and that's something we, we, we can uh, argue that is, uh, let's say, novel. But still, it would have been included in that mass of deaths. In other countries, you take China, nothing to see here. Taiwan, nothing to see. South, uh, South Korea, Vietnam. In France, you would see excess mortality. You would, you would wonder what the heck is happening in, in certain parts of France. Uh, it's been especially deadly. Uh, maybe, maybe we could say the, uh, the same for, uh, for Spain. That's one of the top countries that, that have seen a lot of deaths, so, uh, 19,000 deaths. So you would see excess mortality. A little bit of excess in certain countries, but maybe they would conclude, well, the flu has been, maybe there's a new strain or the flu is especially deadly, or maybe the ICUs are simply underfunded and some people have just died because we cannot treat them fast enough. But that's, that's what damning to me is at the moment, April 16th might change. Again, it might change in the next weeks, but I'm still waiting for that big, that big amount of deaths that would have shown us that what we've done, the confinement was really worth it. And then of course, I see, and a lot of people like on, on social, they will say, okay, well, that guy, like the next logical thing to, to kind of fight me with is, well, how do we know it's not the lockdowns that have saved all those lives? And that's a good point. 
That's a good point. In reality, we don't know exactly. Well, first, on a scientific basis, I was support, very surprised to find out, uh, looking, for example, at H1N1 and what interventions have been uh, have been effective and whatnot. There's there's a good paper on that that I read, and they concluded, well, after H1N1, unfortunately, the funding dried out because eventually it wasn't a thing anymore in science, and and the funding dried out, and we couldn't really conclude what are the best interventions to do when confronted with a pandemic? So on a scientific standpoint, a lot of scientists at the beginning of the COVID uh, uh, panic worldwide were saying, well, sure, we can try lockdowns, but they're not proven to work. In other words, you don't know exactly if it will be worth it in the end. And we still don't know. We're going to have to, after the fact, study populations that have done various versions of a lockdown or social distancing and then study the effects. So it's a little bit of a shot in the dark. And some could argue, again, better be safe than sorry, but there's consequences to a lockdown that are uh, also a disaster to society. So that's why I'm, I'm on the side at the moment without being the experts in, in epidemiology that Probably other types of interventions could have been a better choice. For example, and that's something a lot of a lot of scientists, mainstream, have, have, have argued uh, on the media. If if they they were even given uh, the right to speak, because it's not a popular opinion, but you could have focused on populations at risk. And very quickly in the crisis, even in February, it was pretty clear that people 65 plus with pre-existing conditions were especially at risk. So why not isolate? those instead of isolating all the rest of the population. And there's arguments for both. It's just that at the moment, populations like Sweden and other populations that have done other versions of uh, of a lockdown that are way more lax uh, have not seen really death rates or consequences that are over the top. In fact, Sweden is looking at the moment uh, very similar or, 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 or less of a of a of a deadly flu season compared to other countries that have done lockdowns so it really bears into question it's it's it, at this point it's a little bit speculative because it's going to evolve and then we might uh, every country cannot be uh, just compared like oh sweden isn't the uk and the population might be healthier here and the healthcare might be uh, better in 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 this second country sure but overall we haven't there's no consistent evidence that the lockdowns have been what has reduced the lethality or the number of cases. And it's still up to speculation, but I just hope, I mean, it's, 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 it's two pronged. I hope that this whole thing is way less of a, uh, less of a threat than that, that was previously thought. And at the moment it's looking like that, but also I'm just, I'm, I'm just almost grinding my teeth at the idea that the interventions were way overblown based on panic instead of science. And it's unclear who's going to be right in the end, but it's starting to look every day. Now, I wrote my article, what, 10, 11, 12 days ago. It's just more and more proof is coming out that uh, basically the curves are already flattening in a lot of countries. It's, there's, Basically, no crisis except certain epicenters that maybe we've seen ICUs being completely overwhelmed. New York City is an example. I don't want to dismiss what's happening in New York City, right? Uh, it, it's real. Uh, it, people are dying. The, the, I mean, 
the medical staff there. I can all my my heart goes to them. It's it's real what they're fighting. I have my uh, um, my my wife's parents are, are pharmacists, and and one of them works in in a hospital in Quebec. It's it's uh, it's the apocalypse in the freaking system. It's very difficult. I can I, I and I'll never understand really what what's what's going on for them, the stress they're they're experiencing and whatnot in the ICUs. But the question is. Um, is the panic and the because we've made this such a big deal and because people are in the front of the computer in front of their devices exposing themselves to a lot of stress inducing EMFs and refreshing the numbers on the Johns Hopkins um, uh, tracker every day, like every hour, is it contributing to people going to the ICU saying, please save me, I think I might have the virus? Uh, is it contributing to the cardiovascular events? So is the panic causing uh, also part of the reason that we're seeing... Um, certain increases in certain cities, especially large cities. I don't know. It's speculative. But as far as the death rate goes and the overall mortality, um, it's at the moment, it's just not there. So I guess you could take that um, two different ways. You could say, Wow, that's that that's amazing news. Uh, I don't know if you know uh, the the guy called uh, Z Dog, uh, like a, a, a do you know Z Dog? He's like a he's like a doctor, a very spoken out doctor who who's and it's bizarre because I mean I'm let's say I'm part of the uh, I hate anti vaxxer man I just hate the term I think it's so silly and it's I think if you use that term you're completely mistaken because yes okay some people are completely anti vaccine but just being flagged at something and then we don't talk I think it's an easy thing to just. Uh, Create a term and then put people in that category and, and not listen to uh, a debate over vaccine safety is really what it is. Anyway, that's my two cents, and I don't want to necessarily get into that. But Z Dog is someone who has who's the opposite of that. He's like pro vaccine. Vaccines are safe and effective, and he, uh, also with uh, certain doctors like doctors Paul Offit, and you know. What what he's been saying? I think it's two days ago. He's basically said like created a video on Facebook, Facebook Live, where he said, "You guys will hate me for this, but I don't think it's an issue. I don't think it's a huge issue, coronavirus." And basically, he described all the talking points I've talked about so far. And he's a pro, 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 pro vaxer. You cannot get more pro vax than that. So I was like, "Oh my." God, so it's actually I have <laughs> unexpected allies on both sides of the debate, and he doesn't think that the vaccine is going to save the world because it's going to take a lot of time to develop, and and also the safety profile of past coronaviruses uh, vaccines that have been attempted was not good. So basically, they failed so far to create even a, a vaccine for SARS, uh, the, the 2003 epidemic that the pandemic that was especially deadly. So. Um, there, are, there are unexpected allies in this debate that think alike, that say, well, you know what? The numbers are just not there. So uh, yes, we should take precautions, still study. I, I don't argue that uh, COVID-19 is not something new, uh, but the numbers aren't there. So I guess the good news is we can stop freaking out. Um, if you're 90 year old and you have diabetes and high blood pressure and everything, 
well, continue freaking out a little bit, protect your health, right? We should support these people because it looks like COVID for these people might be more, way more dead, deadly than the flu. But when you, you put that to the entire population and consider that studies support the idea that 50 to 80% of people will be asymptomatic, I might, I might have COVID at the moment. I don't know. Like, it would be one of like good health, young, you normally you don't get that much symptoms. Almost all of them are over 65, almost all the deaths. And for sure, there's a few exceptions. But the media, the fact that the media points at a six year old that has died with COVID and, uh, oh, this teenager has died with COVID, well, it doesn't say anything. Right, it, you. We have to stay rational about the overall statistics. Is it an exception? And was the person leucemic or something like a precondition that could have killed them or, or made their immune system struggle? Or is it something where we really have to think about teenagers and how they're they're going to be affected with COVID? In reality, when you look at the cases worldwide, and we have a lot of COVID cases right now, there's no need to panic. There's no need to think that you're at great risk uh, for your health, for uh, great risk of death from COVID if you're under 65 and you have no pre-existing condition. And this is across the board. I haven't seen a single scientific study. I'm trying to look at both sides. And I've been studying that stuff for weeks and weeks and weeks. I'm following every study. Haven't seen an indication that is dangerous for children, for teenagers, for adults in good health, or if you're even if you're 65 and you consider yourself an amazing health, maybe you're not at risk. I'm not here to tell you that you're not. But so, so for these populations, there's an argument that we should have them um, eventually get COVID, you know, because we need to acquire immunity. And that's another <laughs> part of that freaking argument is that people, and I don't know why, and I don't know if it's been misexplained in the media and flattened the curve and Flattening the curve is not nullifying the curve, right? So flattening, the what, what does it mean? Well, it's to, there's a curve, right? And the, the amount of cases goes up, goes up, goes up, and then it goes down and the, the, the crisis is adverted. The problem is that the high spike, when it gets very high, that's how many people will get hospitalized. And then you get more deaths. Why? Because the ICUs cannot treat people. They need to be put on ventilators. And that's one of the theories of how we need to treat COVID. And at the moment, it's looking at maybe it's not even the right approach. But so flattening the curve is just pushing on it, but it, it extends it over time. The same, technically, flattening the curve is not trying to have uh, uh, fewer people infected. It's not the main goal. It might happen because you reduce transmission, but it's basically having the same number of cases, but over a longer period of time. So your doctors have time to treat those extreme cases and we don't ignore people who otherwise would have been saved. And I think like this makes sense technically, but now people... I think we've been so traumatized by the idea of COVID that just the government starts thinking about, oh yeah, we should reopen things. No, 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 no. No, what are you talking about? COVID. Well, yeah, <laughs> they didn't get it that, well, in the end, most people will contract COVID and that's okay, especially because of the fact right now that the, the overall death rates, when you look at the entire population, do look similar as the flu, maybe a little bit more and maybe less. And we won't know that until next year. I can guarantee you that we need better data. But if you're not at risk, you'll get 
essentially the flu and no one is freaking out over the flu. I mean, when people have the flu in my family or maybe I don't shake hands uh, during Christmas season, I'm like, ah, you know what? Just stay like, I'm going to kiss you at a distance. That's it. But aside from that, I don't fear for my life. You shouldn't fear for your life according to science right now. And, and that's comforting. And I don't think that message has been stressed enough uh, in the media or from government. Just the, they've, They've said it, but it's like we should say, say, guys, it's okay. It's not a sometimes the reaction loop that I see in in I go to the grocery store and the reaction I see in population is pretty much there's a deadly virus like in the movies that if you open the window, you're gonna choke to death and maybe you transform yourself into a zombie, right? So this is what I've been seeing, and this has nothing to do with reality. Nothing. Uh, at the moment, I, I could say that it's safe to, to be on the safe side. COVID is probably especially deadly if you're uh, 65 and older in pre-existing conditions. If that's not you, you can probably relax and eventually you're going to get it and it, it shall be fine. Like there's no one, it's not everyone dropping dead. And I mean, my, my dad has a colleague, he's a, he's a realtor and, and, uh, he has a colleague who, who, who literally might add lights to uh, a little bit uh, teaser, I guess. And and he's like, uh, yeah, my, my son wrote an article about coronavirus. It's not deadly at all. And uh, it doesn't exist. Or what? It makes it like deforms my entire argument there and just says, no, it's not an issue. And she fro- she was freaking out. She said, you're irresponsible. Everyone is dying from COVID. Thousands, millions of people are dying. And I'm like, yeah, that's pretty much what the average person thinks now. So that the perception is that everyone is dying. New York City is on lockdown. There's been a trillion deaths from COVID, it seems, because every death is, there's almost a, a story behind, oh, John was only 34 and he died from COVID. And that's horrible, but maybe John last year also died from the flu because also young people drop dead from the flu, but we don't make a big deal out of it. So it's there's a difference between how reality really is when you look at the data and how it's been portrayed. And I think that in the end, it, it's it's a crisis that is probably 20% science and 80% uh, I, I, Either it's, uh, and, and that's when people will, will hate me for it. I, I don't know. Me, media, is, is it agenda pushed fear by people that are either creating the COVID narrative? That could be a thing. Uh, or it's they're recuperating the COVID narrative because it, it will help them for their bottom line, whether it's creating vaccines or enforcing more rules for citizens and control. And so there's a lot of opportunism that happens and maybe agendas. I don't know about that. And I, yeah, I went down these, these rabbit hole quite, quite a lot. And I don't know, but there's for sure cop, strong corporate interest throughout that to, to have a vaccine developed. And there will be, it will be a big payday for a lot of people if the vaccine is mandated and whatnot. It's very complicated, this whole story, but 80% of the fear is completely overblown, I would say. We'll be right back at you after this brief but important announcement. 
If you follow me on social media, you've no doubt seen me wearing my Blue Blocks glasses. You can find them at blueblocks.com. And if you use the code lifestylist over there, you're going to save 15% off. So why do I wear these glasses? Well, during the day, even if you're in somewhere that's supposed to be healthy, like let's say a Whole Foods or even the gym, you're probably walking around under the most trash brain and eye destructive light possible, LED lights, fluorescent lights, etc. So it's really important to protect your eyes and your brain and your melatonin, etc. not only at night, as now many of us are learning, but also during the day. So that's why I have different color blue blocks. I'll have the ones that have lenses that are yellow, the ones at night that are more amber or even dark red. Just depends on the time of day. But I love blue blocks because they are scientifically valid and that they're blocking out the right spectrum. And they also have really well-made frames that are made in Australia, not like cheap-ass ones made in China. They're going to fall apart, etc. So they're really high quality. Another thing that's very cool is they're now doing prescriptions. So you can get reading glasses or your regular RX glasses by just uploading your script at checkout and they do the rest. You can also send them your own frames and they'll make your rad-looking glasses blue blocking. It's very cool. So again, go to blueblocks.com and enter the code LIFESTYLIST to save 15% off. Also, another new product they have that's very cool is something called the Remedy Sleep Mask that you can wear once you take your blue blocking glasses off. Did you know that light hitting your eyes, even when they're closed, is enough to raise blood sugar levels and suppress melatonin? Yeah. So that's why you need a 100% blackout sleep mask. Now, this thing is awesome for travel. There's no eye pressure. It doesn't like smash your eyes like a lot of eye masks do. It gives you complete uh, darkness and that's guaranteed. And they also have free worldwide shipping, not only for the sleep mask, but also for their glasses. So I would do yourself a favor, hook up some of the glasses and definitely get the uh, Remedy sleep mask as well. You can find them at blueblocks.com and you can save 15% with the code LIFESTYLIST. That's blueblocks.com. And now back to the interview. Thank you for the comprehensive and uh, I, I would say, again, pretty neutral and tame take on it. Yeah. <laughs> Not as compared to the mainstream media narrative and the world government's reaction to this, but uh, to me as someone who's been quite far outside of the matrix uh, for a long, long time now and has looked at things, I think, from very uh, alternative lens in terms of where I'm getting information from. Uh, there is a very obvious concerted effort by the media to mislead the public around the world. And that the purpose of that, we can never say for sure, but it's quite obvious if you just unplug a little bit and, and look at things from your perspective that, hmm, the story that's being presented is not the full story and not the true story. And that the reaction of the authorities around the world and the shutdown that has ensued as a result of that reaction uh, is unprecedented, as you said, and based on statistics, uh, excessive and unnecessary in terms of the loss of civil liberties and personal freedom and just basic fundamental human rights. And so, uh, you know, I've done one episode that's, that's more on the more aggressively tearing down the official narrative. Uh, yeah more coming out that are much more. So this is a good kind of middle ground, I think, that we've covered with you, just 
looking at the the basic science and statistics and not so much uh, on the fringe extremities of one side or the other. Um, For me, I'm not concerned at all about becoming ill. I feel for the people that have, of course, as you keep Mm -hmm. saying wisely, uh, what concerns me a million times more than any fucking virus ever could is that we have been incrementally led down the path of a totalitarian, authoritarian government takeover. And that is what people should be afraid about if they're going to be afraid of anything and how easily the sheeple that many of us are have just laid down out of our own, you know, being so easily manipulated to give up our rights and our personal freedoms. And I guess in that is the confusion because we are inherently, I think, good people and compassionate people. And we care about not only the well-being of ourselves, our loved ones, and our our society as a whole. So we want everyone to be safe. So we go along with it. But when you start to do a little bit of research, as you have, you see like, huh, the reaction doesn't match the actual statistics on this. And so why is the reaction as it is? Yeah. And who stands to benefit? And when you start following the money and you start looking at who stands to benefit, it's the, as you indicated, corporate interest. And it's in the interest of big government to control the populace and um, control the way that they perceive reality. And that's what the media's job really is in many ways, is to control perception. And if you control um, a civilization's perception of reality, you control them. And uh, that's the bad news of this. As I said in the beginning, to me, the good news is because this has been so extreme and even to your average person who can just pry open their mind a little bit and just be somewhat objective about this in a, in a global sense as you've been, you have to admit that something is amiss and that uh, perhaps it's time to start thinking more critically about the information that we're getting from the mainstream narrative and also start thinking critically that... <laughs> and this has been very abundantly clear to me for a long time, but thinking critically about the level of trust that we um, have for our government and government agencies, such as the CDC, which is, I'm sure there are many great people working in and around the CDC, but there are also a lot of very bad, bad actors in there that are very corrupt. And that's been proven. And time and time again, the same goes for the WHO. I mean, you have like a lot of foxes in the hen house, you know, um, in these big organizations and there's corporate interest and so much corruption that we as citizens who are participants and observers of this phenomenon owe it to ourselves and the future generations to wake the fuck up (laughs) and realize that we have to start looking at things from a different point of view and we have to start thinking critically and really examining the narratives that are being force-fed to us and looking at where this could lead if we don't stand up and start asking difficult questions. And so I really appreciate people like you that are being as rational and and unbiased as possible and looking at this from all sides. And so thank you for, for doing that work and for sharing that really amazing comprehensive boil down on the show because... Um, it's really important that information like this gets out and people can make their own decisions. But where I like to always go with these things is to 
acknowledge speculation when it's speculation, acknowledge a conspiracy theory when it's a theory, but also to identify when it's not a theory and that when it's a fact and it's been proven as a fact and when it's not speculation and there's science and there's statistics and there is such thing as a universal undeniable truth about any given topic. And then there are people's interpretation of truth, right? Yeah. Our job is to zero in as close as we can using our heart and our intuition, our intellect, um, our discernment, our prudence to really zero in on what might really be happening. And at the end of the day, also knowing that as little ants <laughs> that we are in the, in the great scheme of things, that each individual really has very little control to exert over the situation. But collectively, we have a lot of power and the power of knowledge and the power of love and connectedness and compassion for one another and our thirst and God-given right for freedom is a really powerful force. And so, uh, so that's why I like doing shows like this, which are a little bit out of the norm. I mean, normally this is not even a topic I would ever touch. Yeah. <laughs> this show's sure. about like health and spirituality and personal development. So I've always avoided anything political or, yeah, I've done, I did one show with, with Del Big Tree about vaccines, just questioning the safety and efficacy of vaccines in general. Um, and I think it was a pretty moderate show, um, looked at things from all sides. I mean, he has his point of view and I would mm -hmm. say I agree with his point of view. But other than that, I've not been too controversial on this show, but now I'm sort of forced to, I feel kind of like through a sense of responsibility to people that listen to my you know, uh, shows and content that I'm putting out um, and also to myself to kind of get further educated and really take a look at some of these things. And it is, it is difficult to weed through all of the information and arrive at some semblance of reality. And so... Uh, that's it is where I am with it right now. I'm, as I said, and I will, and I'll close with this. And I want to get into some other stuff because I really want to talk about EMFs too, which is your, you know, not even yeah, not even your specialty. You just stumbled into this, as you said, because you're like, <laughs> what the fuck is going on here? Um, but when it comes to uh, this issue again, my position is I'm more concerned about the reaction and about the the danger. Um, of and the harm being caused by the media and their misrepresentation of reality, which is no news to me because when 9-11 happened and we experienced the most detrimental bit of fake news to ever grace the airwaves, which was weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, which led to the deaths of tens of thousands of innocent people for the past 20 years or whatever it's been. Uh, that was when the matrix broke open for me. And I was like, something is not right here. And, and that led me down the rabbit hole of looking into all sorts of different theories, some of them really far out and extreme, some of them a little more balanced and in the middle. But uh, what became abundantly clear to me was that I need to make up my own mind and I need to use my fucking intellect and common sense and critical thinking to get a greater picture of what's really going on in the world at any given time and not believe that box in front of me that it's called the television you know, or any device we have now that you're being force fed these narratives from, you know, four or five multinational corporations that own all of the media channels and are programming your brain to think one way or another for their own interests. We have to take back our autonomy. 
And our, you know, there there's two things, Luke. I want to add to that. I'll try to make it quick. I know you want to get into the five G stuff, and and this show does. You know, my podcast. I gave up on having a time limit. Along, <laughs> I said, you know, I have my hourglass here for for my Instagram lives, and and I did a re- recording yesterday on someone else's show, and I had to flip this thing over three times. It's an hour. Oh my god, hour. <laughs> 60 minute hourglass. And it was just like, it is what it is. It takes as long as it takes to say what you need to say and people can tune in or tune out and I'll give them that freedom. Perfect. Well, I want to say something, you know, um, flagging something as a conspiracy theory, again, it's like flagging someone as an anti-vaxxer. I think it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a lazy thing to do. And I think, uh, to be to be quite frank, it's it's just stupidity. Uh, it's it's uh, people who don't want to think. Um, I could say, oh yeah, you could argue that anything is a conspiracy theory. If I say to you, um, there's a lot of corporate interest in in EMF science and uh, big corporations uh, fund studies that show no effect, conspiracy theory. Well, okay, cool. You can say that doesn't make it untrue. So. The same thing for COVID. I mean, if I, I haven't talked about it, I have a, a next article coming up on that. I think where I, I want to get a little bit more political because in the end, there's one freaking article I saw in mainstream media. I think it was CBC in Canada who said something. The headline would it might have been removed now because of the political climate. Like, is Bill Gates in a conflict of interest? Duh. <laughs> oh my God. Oh no. Someone is asking the right questions. Come on, people. Uh, journalists, and I mean, I, and now I don't want to bash on journalists. I guess I'm, I'm kind of a pseudo influencer journalist because some people have tried to argue with me. Are you a journalist and you do affiliate marketing and you're, you do online business? So you cannot be called a journalist. And I'm like, okay, well, call me whatever you want. I try to bring information. Uh, that's that's factual and and highlight the conflict of interest. If you don't want to get into the conspiracy and big agenda twenty one blah 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 thing, you don't have to. But let's just talk about something called conflict of interest. Why is it that Bill Gates is the one that's the spokesperson on the American media on this on the main CNN show a few weeks back? I think it was two weeks back, and that's the Del Big Tree uh, talked about. It's so I gave him big credit. His shows were very well made, and he's an incredible journalist. Whatever your views are about vaccine, you should look at his COVID series because he has an incredible team. And uh, I have a hard time arguing with him because the information is factual, it's calm, and he's thinking for himself. He's, he's really, really precise on that. Well, why is it that Bill Gates is talking about this stuff? Right. Oh, yeah, he's at the WHO. Well, Bill Gates basically has more power than most countries at the WHO. That's a problem because he's one guy. That's a problem. I'm sorry. I don't know how we came to this. I I haven't studied WHO enough. I know a lot of people have slammed WHO after 2009 H1N1 because they said you have major conflict of interest. Well, nothing has been solved. And Tedros, uh, who's the uh, at the moment the uh, general uh, director of of WHO, is is Bill Gates' buddy, and Fauci is the buddy, and they they all make money if the vaccines are being developed. Who are who are we kidding here? How are these guys allowed to have such power? And I mean, it's not like we can remove them, but we should talk about these issues. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's called 
conflict of interest. If you think that you can stay completely balanced and and uh, unbiased, but all of a sudden you'll get a check for twelve million or twelve trillion dollars if vaccines are being mandated, how can you be really unbiased? That's impossible. And in scientific research, it's a well-known fact that even when you think you're not being biased, is if you're going to receive a check in the end of the day, you will be biased even when you think you're not. And it's been proven over and over and over again. So Bill Gates is biased towards Something is idea that vaccines are the only thing that can get us out of this mess, maybe. But he has huge financial interest, and, and it's just John Hopkins and and the Bill Gates Foundation. And like, I'm not getting into conspiracy theory. It's a money machine. It's a lot of different companies and developing then the 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 microchipping technology and having vaccine passports and all these ideas. These are ideas, but I, people. Don't I, I think they feel bad even talking about conflicts of interest because we're in just in this climate world you'll be flagged as a conspiracy theorist and now if I write uh, I, I think if I write Bill Gates on my Facebook and say hey Bill Gates is in a conflict of interest because of this and that it will be flagged as conspiracy theory what the hell I mean that's that's propaganda I'm sorry like sometimes I, I I'm very bad I'm very balanced and very calm about things but this is just unacceptable because we're just slipping into extremism where you can't even question people that have huge vested interests in certain causes and ask ourselves with our rational brain for a second well hmm what is their opinion towards vaccines if they're gonna get millions or billions or trillions if vaccines are created. Mm, well, probably it's pro-vaccine. And does it affect how they think about vaccines? Yes. Does it affect how they influence others and everything they do in life? Yes. So why are they in such position of power? Uh, if we are to rely on the WHO, it should be nonprofit. It should have no ties to any industry. It should be international. It should be multidisciplinary. That's an organization I would put my faith into. Not the WHO at the moment. And I see, unfortunately, another thing I want to say, I won't be popular amongst Americans. I was listening this morning to just the humor shows, like what, what is it, that John Oliver and all, all the different funny guys of the light shows in the US. And it looks like, Everything is about being anti-Trump. It's okay. Think about what you want. For I'm not pro-Trump or against Trump. I'm a Canadian. Who cares, right? I, I don't mind that much about I'm not Republican or Democrat or anything. Trump, I, I don't like his style that much. I think he sometimes he says stuff that's completely disrespectful. I, I don't like him as a leader, but who cares? In America, there's a danger. I think there's a poison of the mind at the moment that people who don't like Trump because of what he said about women or this and that will automatically conclude that everything he says is a lie. That's not true. The, the, maybe sometimes he says something that's right. And the fact that Trump is wants to defund WHO, well, I see this news at the moment while I'm researching this article and I say, 
geez, maybe it's time that we really take a stand against the World Health Organization because it seems to have ties with industry and this problem has not been resolved. And they're way too close to um, pharmaceutical industries and different corporate interests. And that's my take. But all people see is, oh no, Trump is doing another stupidity and right in the middle of the crisis wants to defund WHO. Well, I think that maybe behind the scenes, there are there are players at play that said, you know what, WHO is corrupt as hell and we will leave the boat. I don't know what's happening, but just take it with a grain of salt. It's not always anti-Trump and pro-Republican and against Democrats and this and that. The truth is somewhere in between, but don't make it always a political fight. I, I think, unfortunately, a lot of people are focused on that. It's like in Quebec, we would make it separatists who want the Quebec to, to, to get out of Canada against the non-separatists. It's not always about that. Sometimes it's an issue of that, but right now it's an issue of uh, everyone as as united front. We have to fight the virus. We have to make the best of out of this situation. And politics are intertwined in it, but it's not the sole thing. So sometimes I, I find it dangerous to just conclude uh, is defunding WHO is probably stupidity. Well, do your own research. WHO, is there something there? Uh, I've seen a, a German documentary two years ago that talked about WHO being extremely corrupt and the ties to industry. Well, it's not Right. So it's not just about Trump or re-election or this and that. So take all the news that are happening. I know it's hard because the media will will spin off and then, I don't know, Fox will be pro-Trump and then CNN will be against and this and that. And it's a whole war in the US. Man. I don't know how you guys do it. It's just even watch the news. I would go crazy. But don't make it always political. And that's how you, you stay rational. And unfortunately, geez, where are the good journalists? These days, I don't know because one journalist has asked the question: Is is Bill Gates in a freaking conflict of interest? Well, I don't know. Is he? Yes, for sure. He might be a, 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 a like a guy who has given a lot of. It, we could argue that is that he has done tremendous philanthropic work and blah blah blah. Okay, stay in the background, fund scientists, independent science, and let them talk. That's being respectful and, and in integrity, according to, well, that's my opinion. Like, I would rather see that than just have him as a spokesperson. Yeah, Bill, and you say, life will never go back to normal, folks. He announces that like a, I don't know, like a death sentence to America on, 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 on mainstream media. And I'm like, well, yeah, you might think that, but. When you say that, you know that you're influencing decision makers to push towards vaccines. So you're kind of, you're, you're, even if you're not in it for the money, what you say creates money, man. So it's, you're not in a good position. You're in a completely unethical position and completely overextends his role as, a, as someone who wants to give money to charity and whatnot. You can do that, but have people that are more independent with no ties to the vaccine. And let's see what they think in the end. And maybe he doesn't want to do that because maybe he wants to control things. I don't know. But there are a lot of games of power and conflict of interest is just something we need to start to think about. Even people who don't want to get into conspiracy theories, let's not do that. Let's just think like, can we have people that are not corrupt, please? Because I have a hard time finding them these days.
Like who has no ties, no money? Let's just remove the money from the equation and see what scientists say. And you'll find a lot of them that say, well, guys, I've been trying to scream from the rooftops and I'm just Dr. Woldarg in, in Germany or Dr. Raul, who's uh, just the number one expert worldwide in communicable diseases that has said that basically COVID is uh, a collective hallucinated drama that we're going through. Well, why is he saying that? He, he has published 20, 2,300 papers in his, in his career. He's one of the most important scientists on the freaking planet. And he's been saying from day one, no, this is not important. Well, no one listens to him because he, he has no vested interest. He's just saying the truth, but it's not interesting. It's not interesting to have like CNN say, oops, COVID isn't dangerous after all. No one will do that. It sells copies. So it's just everyone has a vested interest. Even the media has a vested interest in like, Keep keeping the hysteria going because it sells. In the end, it's it's you know money is a huge issue in all that we're seeing right now. It's everyone who wants to get their part of the cake, and uh, I guess that's the end of my rant. Well, on the note of uh, Bill Gates, I will go on record. Uh, in my opinion, he is a diabolical, evil control freak who's on record wanting to depopulate the planet. He's a eugenicist. And if you do your research on him, you will find he is not a good person. <laughs> so yeah, that's there, that, there's a lot of stuff I, I found too that even even the way he pushed GMOs and basically yeah. is, is he's been accused of, of continuing the, the work of Manzanto. That's the most evil company on the planet. So I mean, uh, some things he might have done might have been good, but some other things might have been completely in the wrong direction for humanity, including the, I mean, the use of, of GMOs, encouraging the use of massive pesticides. I mean, anyway, so that's a whole rabbit hole, but it's, it's not, it's definitely not all clean. So stop also just be taking people at face value, like, oh, he's a good guy. Yeah. Well, it's shades of gray, you know, so take it, like stay rational and just Conflict of interest, man. It's it's just it's ignored. It just pisses me off. It's it's incredible that people don't think about that. Well, when you have the media propping someone up as this insta spokesperson on something, yeah, that no education in, uh, in in virology that has no education in science that has no medical background that has a history of investing in and supporting companies like Monsanto that are responsible for the degradation of the entire world population's health. And you have someone that's speaking nothing of how to improve your immune function, how to lead a healthy lifestyle, how to prevent yourself from getting any diseases. You have someone who pops on TV and all they have to talk about is the need for vaccines and to make them mandatory and widespread. I mean, come on people, like seriously, like how fucking dumb are people? I'm sorry. I just like, it's infuriating to me that people are that easily manipulated. It's, it's absolutely insane. Um, and you just look at, as you said, the conflict of interest and the, the hypocrisy and do a little bit of research on someone before you give any credence to their recommendations and look at exactly someone like that, as you said, you know, there's all of these scientists that have written all of these papers and spent their lifetimes researching viruses. And you have someone who is a, you know, software inventor, if that's even true, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> partner, uh, you would get a different story on that. But, uh, you know, why is the, why is the news propping that person up as the one that we're supposed to listen to? It's just, you, you've got to really 
kind of step back from this and go, huh, does that make sense in any way? You know, and, and, and if that's the case, uh, why is that person being selected as, you know, the authority that we're supposed to all bow down to when they have no background and they have extreme conflict of interest and, uh, and also have a background to the contrary, which is ideas that are harmful to so many people. But anyway, amen. enough about that. Um, I just, you know, I have my opinions and maybe some of them are right. Maybe some of them not so much, but I... I protect my right to express them. And also, my, I, I protect Bill Gates's right to express his opinions, whatever his motives are. And I, he does a and, lot. <laughs> and I, I also don't think that anyone should just listen to my opinion because, yeah. you know, if I have an opinion on something, I always, you know, like, okay, red light therapy has benefits. I have a vested interest in promoting red light therapy because Juve is going to write me a check for my podcast, you know? And it's like, there you go. There's everyone has a motive to do something, and sometimes it is monetary. And I think when you have that motive and you outwardly express that motive and make it very transparent, that that changes the way you're doing things. It's yeah, I want people to go to my website. I want traffic to my website because that's my living. So in the end, I mean, conflict of interest. Okay, I make a living. I sell a book. I go on podcast shows. I hope you're subscribed to my newsletter. Because right now my business is struggling in the last three months because people are just reading about COVID. So there you go. So I mean, everyone, yeah, if you have an online business as an online influencer, it's it's also important to mention it. So my my conflict of interest is I want people to, I guess, give me money in exchange for me doing my research. Something like that. That's like my goal in life with EMFs is really informing people about an issue and and being able to just make a paycheck. Yeah. Amen, brother. Okay. So let's take a pivot. <laughs> just so funny. <laughs> I had no idea we were gonna like go off this hard on that other thing. But anyway, it's it's timely and it's on top of mind for many people right now. Uh and it's almost like I feel like we need to do two episodes, but we'll while we're here, let's just let's just do it. We'll just go for it. Sure. Mm. Due to the fact that I've done multiple shows on EMFs, and we'll re- I don't have the episode numbers on hand, but um, I've probably done five or six dedicated shows where we talk about you know what to do with your Wi-Fi router, how to make your cell phone safe, um, the dangers of living near a cell tower, um, geopathic stress in your home, how to test for it, um, electrical fields in and around you at your computer and, and by your bed, magnetic fields that can be created from bad wiring in your home or living under high tension power lines or uh, dirty electricity that can be caused by appliances that are not made well inside your house or dirty electricity coming from the mains on your street into your house. Like we've talked about all of this. And so I'll refer people back to those shows just in the interest of time because I know you have a lot of knowledge about all of that extensive body of knowledge. What I want to maybe look at now is clarifying for people, and most of the questions that were posted when I did an Instagram poll today were about specifically 5G. And as I understand it, and I want to see where how far my understanding of this goes, uh, is that A, it's it stands for fifth generation, meaning fifth generation of cellular networks in the world. And that uh, there's sort of two phases of the fifth generation. One is the one we're in now, which is piggybacking different frequencies and wavelengths 
on the existing infrastructure of 4G and really upgrading the 4G network using different bandwidths of frequencies, um, which we can talk about at depth. And that's being done now and has been done. And we have that type of 5G on T-Mobile Horizon in LA. I think uh, T-Mobile is like 600 megahertz. And, you know, then there's other 4G networks that are 1900 megahertz that were already here. So it's not like that much different. There's just, I think for me, the concern about that level of 5G, sort of the first phase of the rollout is that now we just have more towers going up. Uh, we have, you know, the 3G, the 4G existing networks that are transmitting these frequencies. And we just have a wider range of frequencies polluting the uh, places in which we live. Then the second phase of 5G is the one that people are very concerned about and I think should be, which is the millimeter wave spectrum where you have these out of control uh, uh, frequencies in the gigahertz that are going to be, and perhaps already are, are rolled out. You can tell us that uh, where you know these are technologies that are used by the military for cl- crowd control. And some people on the more conspira- conspiratorial side would say altering the way people feel and changing their decisions and beaming a building and making everyone inside go fucking crazy. And all of these very like nefarious or potentially nefarious uses of the millimeter waves. And those are waves that we've not experienced uh, in a widespread way. So that's kind of where I am with it right now. And I think it would be most useful for you to kind of give us a historical background on the different, you know, the third, fourth, and now into the different phases of fifth generation. And uh, ease people's minds a little bit about... (laughs) About where we are, perhaps with it, and also give us a reality check on 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 where it's going and what the proposed plan is, because I think people think we're farther along in the development of the fifth generation than we actually are, and that where we are also sucks and is very uh, disconcerting. So, sure. you know, give us a breakdown on on the infrastructure of the cell networks as they stand right now. Sure. Well, we still have some two G around, but mainly what what we have is 3G antennas. Uh, in certain cities, they're starting to be removed. That's the, I guess, old technology that was rolled in uh, the early, I would say the early 2000s. And you had the 4G in 2010, 5G, let's say we can say 2020, but they started doing tests as uh, soon as 2000, at the end of 2018. So each generation brings... Uh, different technological advancements. Uh, the 4G could be also be called 4G LTE. So long-term evolution is the, the acronym. So depending on what uh, carrier you have, sometimes you don't see 4G on your phone when it's connected to the network, you'll see LTE. That would be the rough equivalent to, to, to keep things simple. And the 5G is the fifth generation. That's what is starting. And we can say in the future, it's pretty safe to say we're going to see 6G and beyond because uh, you know the industry was just starting to test out 5G. And at the same time, there was a meeting in Finland, uh, I think 2018, about 6G. So they're, they're kind of thinking ahead of what's the next generation because each generation brings for an industry that... Uh, depends on technological advancement, it, it brings basically the, the promise that their industry is going to survive. Um, people need to purchase new phones. Uh, users need to have 
other cool things to do with their phone, including maybe eventually holograms and like new tech that's going to help sell more stuff. That's so the, the the telecoms wants to send the 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 users the data that they demand. So the faster speed, the fidelity, the always connected, the the uh, internet of things. Also the fact that you have trillions of sensors everywhere, so your toaster can talk to your phone, and you can start your toast as you're just you're stuck in traffic, and you're like, oh, I'm just craving uh, peanut butter and jam on two toes and you're like ding 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 and maybe your robot even at home could listen to your your voice and kind of prepare that for you. So it's not so it's a, f- a future that the envision where you have more and more applications that are wireless. So 5G comes with also that and 6G and beyond is well we don't know yet because it's like the future. So they're always thinking ahead of new applications. The 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 main problem with 5G, obviously, when it comes to health, is the densification of let's call let's just call it electrosmog. So, if you imagine that right now we had 2G, 3G, 4G LTE antennas, Wi-Fi routers, hotspots, Bluetooth-enabled things everywhere, it's a lot of electrosmog that has just increased tremendously in the last 10 years. In the last 20 years, uh, it's it's crazy. In the last two years, it has increased like crazy. Uh, in in developing countries, the increase is even more steep because they're just getting on board. And instead of uh, going to the one G, two G, three G, they're like jumping straight to five, to four G. Uh, in in the middle of of Africa, you can get cell, cell phone signal. So there's there's not even a lot of countries now where you cannot get a cell phone with a fast. Uh, with a fairly fast speed. So there's uh, fewer and fewer remote areas that is not being, let's say, polluted by this electrosmog. So that's the 5G is that. 5G also, on the health standpoint, something that a lot of people don't think or talk about is the fact that is is how electrosmog is uh, disruptive to human biology. And it's it's not uh, a, a linear effect. And that's something that is inconvenient. It makes it hard to study. It makes it also hard to comprehend for the average person. And, and it makes it very frustrating also. So what, what I mean by that is that let's say you have one unit of radiation and you you have a second phone that emits two units of radiation. Well, most people would conclude that's, oh, that's two times as dangerous. Well, it doesn't work that way exactly. You have such thing as intensity windows. So you could have a greater effect at lower intensity in certain situations. And you also have uh, sometimes... uh, So you you could have greater effects from one to three units of of radiation and then from, from 100 to 105 units of radiation. So it is weird because biology doesn't respond to electrosmog the way it responds necessarily to other poisons. Uh, there's also frequency windows. So the human body might be affected by 900 megahertz to 1 gigahertz. And might maybe if you do rat studies where it's 1 gigahertz to 1.1 gigahertz, there's no effect. So then some certain studies will 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 study the effects and say, well, look, there's nothing. Humans don't react or rats don't react. Yeah, but because the human body uses different frequencies and reacts differently to different frequencies. So it makes it extremely difficult to have reliable 
results and a reliable assessment of the dangers. And that's one of the reasons that EMF science is very controversial. Uh, the industry will use that as, a, let's say, a, an argument of no effect. Like you see, there's nothing here and, and the, the studies are uh, inconclusive, right? <laughs> so that's one of the main problems. The, the measure of how chaotic a signal is has to do with how much engineers have modified that signal. Okay, In nature, you have different EMFs. Imagine just look at the sun outside. The sun emits all kinds of EMFs in a certain spectrum, some of which is visible. You can see the colors of the light, and some of it is invisible, like certain waves of infrared and certain waves of UV. But we know that they impact us. Uh, we also know that there's a dose-response relationship. You get too much UV, you burn. You get not enough, you don't get your vitamin D. So natural EMFs, we know that they can harm, we know that they can heal, and we know that they exist. Uh, we also know that they have certain characteristics. One of them is that these signals are unpolarized. And what, what it means is that they're sent in all direction. Uh, the sun isn't like isn't a beam that's uh, shaped in bizarre shapes, like the way we do with 5G, for example. So that's called polarizing a signal. So you'll, you'll have an antenna and you'll have a phone and the phone will send the signal. But instead of sending a signal that is in all direction, it will send it in one direction. But not only that, but it will be shaped in a 3D environment so that the antenna can recognize this is the phone. So, and that's, let's say, a very uh, very basic way of explaining it because I'm not an engineer, but you have different ways that we play with the signals to make it better able to uh, be faster signal and that phone A doesn't talk to phone B because this one is listening to a funny cat video on YouTube, and this one is having a conversation, and you don't want to have the two to disrupt, basically. So we, we change the signals, we engineer the signals in ways that are even more unnatural as we go higher in the generations. So that's something that's very important. What does it mean? Well, when you get to 5G, even if you took an EMF meter and you saw a lower number in the, let's say, the amount of electrosmog and ambient that you measure, you would the average person would say, oh, cool, it's, it's half the usual that I read around my vicinity or in my home, so I'm safe. Well, no, maybe it's in fact 10 times more dangerous. And we don't know that because 5G is more engineered, more chaotic than ever before. And at the moment, that's theory, but that's supported by the different studies on animals, uh, on plants, and on humans that support the idea that the more you have pulsation, like that, 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 compared to a signal that's continuous in nature. If you have the Earth's magnetic field, it's continuous. You have the sun, it's continuous. There's no one playing with the signal that uh, in artificial ways. So if you play with the signal, you have more effects. You, you could see, for example, more oxidative damage in rats. And that's across the board very consistently. The more you play with the signal and the more you make it I guess, extraterrestrial to the body or foreign, the more effects you see. So the problem with new technologies is not even just the 
amount or the density of electrosmog. It's also how each unit of electrosmog is impacting us. Uh, and that, uh, we could call it like the, the biological effect potential, the potential to disrupt human biology. And uh, if people want to get more about this idea, I guess the, the best resource is a guy uh, called uh, Pavel uh, Wipiszowski, who's an engineer from uh, Poland working on that that theory and that understanding. He understands engineering, he understands science very well, and also uh, medicine. And uh, he's working on, let's say, the the first theory around that to 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 try to assess how could we better. Basically, if you read, you take an EMF meter in the environment, you just see a number. It doesn't tell you exactly. Well, how much is it disruptive to my body, really? Right? If you have four G and three G and the different sources, so we need a, a more complex and complete understanding uh, to be able to better assess the biological effects. So he's working on that. I have. Uh, uh, an interview that's going to be on my uh, on my new podcast. In fact, a three part series with that guy because he's such a geek, and we we really have a lot of fun geeking out on these things. But so five G, my biggest concern is densification, more antennas, but then more chaos per unit of radiation. So even in the lower frequency range, right? You talked about the first frequency range that's being rolled out. Basically, they have the 4G antennas. They just install an upgrade and then there's a 5G enabled thing. It's fairly quicker. Sometimes they can achieve greater speeds, but how can they they really achieve greater speeds? Well, it's by having more sophisticated uh, modulation patterns and way that they play with the signal. And this creates, uh, this is part of the reason that they're able to achieve such speed and connectivity. And what else? You know, 5G is also, when it comes to privacy, it's a huge issue. And uh, that's not my specialty, but just looking at how it's been rolled out in China, for example, uh, it's not just 5G, but it's, I guess, the Internet of Things as a whole. It, it, there's a huge question to that everyone needs to ask themselves uh, when looking at the Chinese example, is it where we want to move as a society? Uh, China has a blacklist of millions of people who have reduced rights because they talk on podcasts like you and I do and they, the, the, the Communist Party doesn't like that. Or they have crossed the streets at uh, like like the 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 jaywalked or something stupid. Sometimes you can get different levels of penalty, and that's kind of scary that this is happening in a population of one point three one point four uh, billion people. And in the meantime, for us, I think here in Quebec, I would ask the average person, and it kind of sounds like a sci-fi movie. No, it's, it probably doesn't exist. Well, in China, because of all these cameras and because of this hyper-connectivity and all these objects, they will find you. They will recognize your face. They will recognize your voice. And I guess it, it's an aspect of 5G. If you multiply the antennas, you install them everywhere, you give much more power to uh, surveillance technology. So that's a big concern. I'm not against surveillance. Again, a lot of people could say, oh, I have nothing to hide. Cool, perfect. But it's the potential for misuse of the technology. If, uh, I don't know, if right now you trust the president of the United States, cool. Perfect. You you love him, but what about 
in four or five presidents. Maybe it's going to be someone who's more of an extremist. And then the way they're going to use the technology that's in place, well, now they decide what to do with the antennas. So it's the potential to spy on people or um, even use it for nefarious racial profiling or religion profiling, who who knows? And that's, for me, that's a huge concern also. The fact that we're installing all these things and moving in, in the direction where it gives a lot of people the power to use surveillance technology for whatever agendas that they like at the moment. And we as citizens are kind of, ah, oops, it's there. <laughs> um, how can we roll it back? I mean, I, I, I've seen... I don't know how exactly to fight back against it, but to demand that, you know what, this is not what we, the smart city idea. Again, 5G, smart technologies, Internet of Things, it's kind of all intertwined right now. And it's an idea that's being pushed. But when you look under the hood, it's more of a marketing idea and a, and a technologist's uh, wet dream than a real solution for humanity that's going to raise everyone uh, and uh, towards a, a greater health and greater well-being. It's it's cool gadgets and surveillance technologies for a few companies. Um, it, there's been discussions uh, among them. There's uh, Peter, I think it's uh, Peter Shote, or it's it's in the five G summit by Josh Del Sol and um, Sergi from Green Man Info. And um, I'm sorry, I'm just butchering his name, but he, he's an expert on basically. He's he's very critical. He's an expert in telecom, uh, basically infrastructure, and he says, you know what, five G is more like of a marketing trick right now because the first thing we should demand for is fiber optics to the premise. So in other words, what they use right now for 5G antennas, which is super ironic, they like, how does the internet go to the 5G antenna, right? Some people, well, well, maybe it's another antenna. Well, what about this antenna? Well, normally they run fiber optics, that is cables that where the signal travels as light and it's extremely fast way 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 faster than 5g it's it's in the it can be in the billions of times faster than 5g because it's in the wire and not in the air the air isn't a good way to transmit a signal it's just a convenient one so they run the fiber optic to the antennas uh sometimes they also use point-to-point communication so it's Sometimes it's other scenarios, but most of the time they will connect the antennas via wire and then the 5G will connect to users via wireless. So sometimes if they have this plan to run, uh, for example, in residential areas, they want to install one 5G antenna every three to 12 homes. Uh, Well, that's a lot of densification and the wire, the fiber optics will be rolled out right up to the antenna, like 15 feet from your home. But they decide not to to take the wire and plug it inside your home on your Wi-Fi router and have everyone have Ethernet cables because it will kind of kill the industry, right? So, so it's 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 really a wireless push right now. Five uh, G is part of this corporate agenda. They want to push wireless. They make money with wireless wired. Well, they wouldn't make a lot of money. So it's really. Uh, something they try to convince people that they need to go wireless everything, ditch your landline. Uh, wired internet, it's old stuff, right? It's kind of for people who don't understand how technology works. And it's 
it's really this push towards more and more wireless, unfortunately. So it's really, so 5G, I guess it's a new technology, but also a push for an, a push for a global use of wireless, uh, like anything we've seen before, really. And unfortunately, it's going to move us in a, in a direction where the health effects are going to be worse. We'll be right back at you after this brief but important announcement. As someone who's been into herbs and supplements and whatnot for a long, long time, there's two things that I look for when putting something in my supplement cabinet or representing them on the show. One is, of course, that their products actually work. Like, I want to know that it's doing something beneficial for my health, my mind, etc. The next is... I need to know that they are a clean product and that they have full transparency. In other words, I want to know where the ingredients come from. I want to make sure there's no mold, pesticides, heavy metals, no funk in there. That's why I love our sponsor, Cured Nutrition. You can find them at curednutrition.com. They meet my very specific criteria. They've got two products that I really love. One of them calms you down to just chill, meditate, hang out, relax, sleep. It's called Zen Nighttime Blend. It's got reishi, ashwagandha, magnesium, and CBD. And then their other one wakes you up. It's called Rise Nootropic Blend. And it's a very unique combination of lion's mane, cordyceps, rhodiola, ginseng, and CBD. So that one's more for mental focus, clarity, sustained energy, etc. So we've got two great products here that really work. One kind of lifts you up, one chills you out with no swag stuff in the product. So it's all very clean. But additionally, they have some really creative stuff like canine dog treats and tinctures and salves and a THC-free classic mint oil and all kinds of different herbal blends. So they have a full suite of products. They're really tasty. They work. They're awesome. I'm super stoked to share them with you. So you can find all of these goodies over at curednutrition.com. That's C-U-R-E-D, curednutrition.com. The code over there, because I know you want the code, is, of course, Lifestylist. And that code is going to save you 15% off. Again, that's curednutrition.com. And now, back to the interview. So, going back to where we are in terms of the technological progress. Um, People, I think in a city here like LA are freaking out because now 5G is active and live. They don't know the difference between the frequencies being used in the current version of 5G and what people are really afraid of, which is the short range millimeter wave. Yeah. Gigahertz, you know, the whatever it is, 24 to... 80 gigahertz or whatever, I forget the numbers, but break down like the difference between those two, uh, those two stages of 5G. Now, I'm not excited about the current stage of 5G because there's just more electro smog in the environment yep. where I live all together. I mean, I tested it here the other day with uh, my friend Brian Hoyer, who has, and I want to get into some of the also like how we test and the meters and what sure. ones work for what and what don't. But we went and tested the neighborhood, and there is indeed 5G here uh, in the 600 megahertz range, which is what's claimed on the T-Mobile site. But we've also gone around and tested with his very sophisticated equipment, uh, trying to find things within the, I think, 30 to 80 gigahertz range on some of these newfangled streetlight cell towers and stuff to see if we can pick up those frequencies. And we really are unable to really pick anything up within that range, which tells us that 
that level of 5G is not active, at least in the areas where we tested. Some say that in, in downtown LA, they've, they've got that live, the millimeter wave stuff. Uh, we picked up some radar and military things and other things like that, but not the specific range that's supposed to be the next 5G. So perhaps tell us about um, you know what stage we're in and what the different towers look like and do. Because I think when any what I used to think around LA when I saw these new streetlight towers pop up, these really yeah. weird ones that are very close to businesses and homes, I thought that was all the 5G. But when we've tested them, they're just transmitting the frequencies of 4G. Yeah, well, that's they're tr- same frequencies, but again, the health effects might might be worse at the at equal power level, and that's something to to talk about. But mainly, the first rollout or the first part of the rollout is the uh, the FR one frequency range one, and that's at the moment in the US the bulk. Uh, of the 5G service is 600 megahertz to 6 gigahertz around that. And the good news is that with the average EMF meter, if you just buy a cheap one, you would you would see it on your meter. Again, the problem is that it wouldn't differentiate 5G, 4G, 3G. So it doesn't tell you exactly how it impacts you, but you can at least measure your environment, see a before and after if you do shielding or if you get away from the city. So it, there's still use... Uh, your standard meter is basically all all of 5G, except some applications right now that are being used uh, in in downtown areas that I'm aware of, where they've done testing basically for the the what's called the FR2. And the FR2, uh, there there are certain bands that are going to be used around. Uh, let me find is 12 to. It can go up to to 60, but most most of them is. Uh, uh, the millimeter wave uh, starts at 20 gigahertz, uh, ba- more, more, more or less. So it will be 20 to 40 around that area. And there's even applications for uh, a new type of Wi-Fi that's trying to emerge. I don't know if it's it will be really a thing because it's a technology that in its infancy, and I have seen a few articles that talked about the fact that uh, technologists aren't really picking up on it, but it would have it would have been 60 gigahertz uh, for for Wi-Fi because there are uh, such thing as uh, that's that's just a techni- technicality, but that's an unlicensed band. So in other words, anyone can use it at any time. Whereas other bands, like you have uh, certain bands, let's say 12 to 13 gigahertz, would would be purchased. By Verizon, and then thirteen point five to fourteen point five would be purchased by AT and T. So each one has their highway of information that they can use. Um, so as we move forward to the the, the higher millimeter wave uh, bands, what's going to be different is. These antennas, I, I, I'm not positive if it's going to be brand new antennas or if the current antennas have already this capability, but they need to install a lot of them because this is basically a line of sight technology. So imagine you're walking on the street. If you come around the corner in the street, well, the millimeter wave has a hard time really finding you. Sometimes it's going to use some technologies to bounce off buildings and certain reflective uh, surfaces to still find a signal. but 
mostly is going to connect you to a different antenna every couple seconds, but when you, what I get 30 seconds when you walk by. So there's going to be intense uh, densification in urban areas, but it's something that's costly and hard to implement in areas where there's not a lot of people. So it's more likely than not going to be a technology where there's a lot of people, where people uh, meet maybe a uh, especially at the beginning streets where people do business. So downtown areas, uh, maybe uh, areas with, with bars, like the cool neighborhoods with bars. We're going to put a lot of 5G antennas. And then people are going to walk around and the, the antenna is going to literally point at your phone as best as they can. And of course, there's kind of a the side effect is going to hit other body parts and whatnot. And this is when millimeter waves uh, come into play because uh, it's way, way, way faster. It gives you the ability to transfer data at a much higher speed because you go up in, in, the, in the higher frequency range. And there's this uh, perception at the moment that the higher you go in frequency, the more side effects. And it's not necessarily true. Um, we don't know exactly what the effects will be. Uh, personally, I think it will be pretty bad. <laughs> uh, don't get me wrong. Uh, but I don't know how it will compare on a biological standpoint to other technologies. In the end, uh, millimeter wave technology has been studied. There's, there's older studies on it, but the way they're, uh, they're again, playing with the signal, who knows what it's going to do to human beings. And really the problem... Geez, the problem in everyone who wants to oppose that 5G rollout is really that we should be reducing our electrosmog exposure based on the studies. And we should have done that long time ago if it wasn't from the, the huge, again, getting in, you want to talk about corporate interests, just study who's behind the, <laughs> the, the uh, what kind of money is there to be made in, in wireless and tech. That's huge. And that's, uh, folks, this is bigger than big pharma. So imagine how much push there is to um, make sure that it takes as much, uh, as many decades as possible before this stuff is mandated at lower levels and we start reducing levels. At the moment, it's just, they're just uh, basically controlling essentially the FCC that's, that's trying to, that's supposedly the, the regulatory agency, although they have zero medical people at the FCC. So it's, it's a bizarre state of affairs. It's mostly engineers and, and um, industry people that are responsible for setting guidelines for health. So there's no one really looking at health in, in these bodies. There's also ICNRP, the international uh, agency that's supposed to be independent, but uh, investigative journalists from Europe, from a, a group called Investigate Europe, did a completely disastrous hit, hit piece on ICNRP uh, in 2018, calling it basically an industry cartel uh, and, and ICNRP and Arpenza in, in Australia and the FCC in the US and all these agen agencies have been controlled by the industry for decades or, or greatly influenced. If you have a lot of people on the board, you can um, uh, hamper decisions and, and play around with the regulations. And basically, the state of affairs is, well, nothing is dangerous. We can just do business as usual and there's no one in our way. So... This is why really we should oppose 5G is just is, is, is straight up silly that uh, the science is, is, is starting to show that it's going to be 
very close to a class one carcinogen like tobacco smoke. This is where it's moving towards. I really doubt it's going to be easy to have this classification at the WHO, as if the WHO itself is really the best body to <laughs> to trust based on the rest of that freaking conversation. But anyhow, anyhow they still classified EMFs as, uh, as a class 2B carcinogen in 2011. And that in itself made waves around the world. But the same scientists were in this uh, word group for, for EMFs in 2011. Uh, a, a lot of them say, uh, based on the new science that has came out in the last 10 years when it comes to how much of a carcinogen is at radio frequency, that's your cell phone and Bluetooth and Wi-Fi, we should probably reclassify as 2A, probable carcinogen, which is very high, or one, and if it's one, it's you know it's tobacco smoke, asbestos. If it's one, it will be regulated worldwide. But how can you do that in a society that wants the opposite? We want faster signal, more wireless, more wireless, more wireless, and against an industry that's multi-trillion. So it's going to be especially difficult. So five G, five G to me is a big problem because it's 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 adding up and this uh adding up to the entire problem we had before and this millimeter wave thing will will only who knows what is going to create on top of everything that we're seeing at the moment including uh the very real and extremely uh dense science proven i would say completely proven that emfs will reduce your sperm count quality motility all aspects of male fertility. There's no denying that the Mayo Clinic uh, researchers, the Cleveland Clinic of all people, mainstream researchers, mainstream fertility experts say, don't put a cell phone in your pocket. And that's already a done deal. There's been a done deal for a few years now that they've been saying that. And yet, I mean, the average person has a cell phone in their pocket. It's not mandated. There's no warning. They can't even vote on a warning because the industry lobbying pushback would be so, so, so huge. So it's, it's really advancing at a snail space right now. And other activists and uh, lawmakers and uh, incredible nonprofits are fighting that fight, trying to do their their do their thing and and lobby uh, at a at a at a city level at a at a state level at a country level to make sure that regulators understand the the scope of the problem because they've they've been sold a, a bill of goods they've been uh, influenced to say well do you want to be modern in New York City well install five G because you're going to be a modern city if you miss on installing five G you're going to be an old rusty uh, city and you won't make it in the top charts of the most tech savvy cities in the world. So it's kind of a of a trend at the moment, and there's a lot of hype behind it, and that's why they're moving with the five G rollout. The millimeter wave band, uh, I don't know exactly when it's going to be used. I think that in the, in the industry, again, uh, again, there's so much hype and so much money that they were kind of saying, oh, it's going to be 2019. Oh, no, now it's going to be 2020. Oh, no, now it's going to be 2021. It's moving towards that. The, the 5G phones were the main thing, uh, I, I guess, slowing down that rollout because there, there weren't a lot of 5G phones. Now there, there's a handful and... It can be safe to conclude 2021, every phone on the market uh, that's coming out will have a 5G capabilities. And after that, they need to install the infrastructure that is a lot of millions and billions invested. And then 
we're going to see, unfortunately, uh, a huge densification of electrosmog in cities, uh, where especially in downtown areas. So, what can I say? Like, if you live in a densely populated areas, you already have to deal with well, viral diseases, wink, wink, uh, and and transmission of all sorts of bugs, stress, traffic, smog, and then electrosmog is just adding on top of it. So being healthy in a very, very densely populated area, uh, I think it's safe to say it will become increasingly difficult. Some, it's not nothing new to say. It's just that it's just another factor. Uh, what makes it especially dangerous is that it's being uh, massively denied that it's a problem. And <laughs> I think this is where the corporate powers that be and their convoluted relationship with media are really starting to rear their ugly head. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> because of the, uh, the correlations some people have made between uh, the 5G and Wuhan China becoming activated, and I think it was... Yep. 2019, and then all these people falling ill, and the correlations between 5G and different uh, Italian cities in New York City, etc. There, there is some overlay of the map of where 5G's roll out and where the worst hit areas of this virus are, uh, and so where the media reaction has gone is that it's a conspiracy theory that people are saying 5G causes yep. sickness that we're calling. COVID. And I've not heard anyone say that. What I've heard say are very credible scientific people, uh, for the most part, saying that it's known that uh, radiation damages your immune system and lowers your immunity, making you more susceptible to all sorts of different pathogens, uh, one of which being viruses. And so when that theory or that observation came to light, then you have uh, media organizations now banning any news reports or independent media like this, just bringing up the conversation. Hey, is there any correlation between you know public health and safety and our susceptibility to viruses like COVID-19 and the proliferation of radiation in our urban centers? Like, that seems like a really valid question to ask. Yeah. Now, just talking <laughs> negatively about 5G is getting you banned from different platforms, uh, which is terrifying. It should sound the alarm for people. Obviously, it's dangerous and not good. Otherwise, like, why would these news organizations care that we're talking about it? I mean, that's just like, it's already kind of um, admitting their their guilt just by the very the censorship behavior. And what's really funny to me, <laughs> and I'm not recommending that people do this. I don't think this is a good strategy. I think the legal route that so many great people are taking is the strategy to push against this. But someone mm -hmm. just this morning texted me an article uh, that like 50 cell towers have been burned up in the UK in the last couple of days or something because people are like, fuck this. We don't want yeah. this here. Again, I don't think that's a, a great strategy because then it further paints everyone as lunatics that... True to be tested as safe. So it's, it's not effective, but there was a little part of me that's like, <laughs> got him, you know, you got 50. Just for a second. I, I, I must admit, sometimes I see that. I'm like, ah, bastards. But at the same time, yeah, I know what you're saying. It's, it, it's, uh, I want to talk about the, uh, well, first my business. Oh no, my agenda, my business is, we'll, we'll, I'll be banned. I mean, I, you know what, I, when I, I started talking about COVID 
um, I told myself and I told my my wife and business partner she didn't like it uh, for many reasons. But I was like, well, I have to talk about it. I have a moral responsibility because I'm finding that I, I don't think the numbers really uh, match the reaction and I have a moral responsibility to talk about it. I was launching my freaking blog at the same time. So basically... I can conclude that I'm going to be banned from search results eventually. I'm going to be banned from advertising on Facebook and maybe even having a Facebook page. Maybe my personal profile is going to be banned. I don't know what steps are going to be taken by tech giants. I'll be banned from Reddit. I'll be banned from LinkedIn. I'll be banned from uh, Amazon eventually. So all these tech giants are taking tremendous steps to control information around COVID in the name of fighting misinformation. And now it has spilled over to 5G, like you said. And when I saw that, I was like, there you go. I called it <laughs> uh, I called it three years ago. I, I was talking to my wife. I was like, you know what? Uh, a lot of vaccine information has started to, to get censored on, on these big platforms. I bet you that eventually will be 5G. There you go. It, it was just a matter of time. And again, not conspiracy. I think that in the tech industry, there's a, a dangerous uh, utopia going on, and it's a it's a very I don't know how they think really. I I, I need to I want to interview someone who's uh, on my uh, I have a new podcast I'm launching uh, Smarter Tech, and I want to interview someone from the industry who thinks it's a good idea that Facebook, Google, Amazon, and a, a, and all this this group of tech giants control messages uh, because it's the right thing to do for humanity because misinformation is killing people. I want to hear them. And then I want to challenge them. Well, okay, guys. Who decides what is true? And then they will say, well, is the WHO? Is the WHO independent? Clearly not. So we have a problem right there. So it means that true corporate agendas that are imposed on certain organizations that are supposedly independent, we will get that misinformation, that censorship coming from whoever is interested in WHO, in the FCC, so that would be the telecom giants, in the official organizations, and then it will spill over to uh, censorship at the Google and Facebook and Reddit and LinkedIn and Amazon levels. And then all, all of a sudden, you can control an entire population. You control the narrative. Basically, you control what is true for humanity. This is an extreme danger to democracy. And I, I sure hope that these guys know what they're doing and that uh, if they ban everything that's said on vaccines, I sure hope that Every single vaccine that will ever be created in the history of future mankind will be safe and effective. But guess what? There will probably be one or two vaccines that kill people because not all technologies are completely safe uh, per se. So if we get the idea that all of a sudden we cannot talk about vaccine safety, where will be the debate? It will be nowhere. It's madness. You cannot, you cannot do that. You cannot do that. And not talking about the fact that Facebook and Google have investors and these investors are part of it is big pharma. So, I mean, it, it gets crazy. But again, conflict of interest. Why would you censor all information on 5G? It doesn't make sense. It's like putting everyone in the conspiracy theory etiquette 
and and just saying, uh, yeah, these guys are crazy anyway, and five G is safe. Are you kidding me? It's again, it's just a very, um, it's a huge slippery slope, I think. But what's gonna happen though? And I mean, I, I heard a great uh, interview uh, Dr. Mercola did with uh, someone who's a, a professor studying kind of how Google uh, might modify search results with uh, to be in line with certain agendas and. It's it's fascinating work. Very very credible professor. Uh, I cannot recall his name, but basically he said, "Well, people eventually are going to get smarter, and they're going to get on a new search engine. They're going to purchase products from other companies. They're going to have, uh, they're going to leave Facebook." So, I think I, I think that very soon I'll start recommending my readers to uh, start using other platforms. Uh, because geez, I mean, I want to talk about 5G. You want to be informed. You want to inform your friends. And, and if I want to be calm and rational and not completely lunatic about 5G, I cannot even talk about it now. Well, that's not, that's not democracy. That's not free speech. And that's just unacceptable to, to lump every, an entire topic. I mean, imagine the entire topic of the future use of wireless radiation all of a sudden has been censored on the planet. Or it's it's being sent, it's like in the process of of disappearing. Jeez, come on! It's like you do the same with pesticides. All of a sudden, everyone thinks pesticides are safe and effective. So, I I find it completely crazy, Luke. It's uh, but at the same time, there's a response to that, and it's called talking to each other and going on other platforms that are independent. And eventually, tech giants will actually have to change their behavior because they'll start losing money. Um, that's how we can impact that, I think. Yeah, that's that's a great point. As I live stream on Facebook and Instagram right now. <laughs> Oops. Yeah, but uh, we'll be banned. We'll both be banned eventually. It's like a question of time. That's unfortunate. It's like at which point do... I, I guess the, the, the more um, integrous platforms that are now, of course, going to emerge and heads up any entrepreneurs, like what an amazing opportunity we have. Oh, yeah. To build robust, secure uh, communication technologies within social media that are uncensored. Uh, what an amazing opportunity. So anyone listening, like, hello, here's your chance. Uh, but you know, it's like, I wonder sometimes when do we make the jump? Because as much as like I'm sitting here live streaming on Instagram and Facebook, which is obviously Facebook own Instagram, and you know they're compromised, you know that they're evil. <laughs> I mean, just it is. It's just evil. Like, think of how many families are going to be harmed because they can't research the safety of immunizations, or how many people are going to be yeah. unknowingly, like I was for three fucking years with a cell tower next to my bedroom that almost killed my ass because now we can't talk about, like, hey, is this safe? Like, how far should you live from a cell tower? Which type of tower? You know, it's like, but when do we make the jump? Like, when do I really say like, all right, goodbye. And this, you know, these followers that I built and this kind of perceived value that I have in my social yeah. platforms and all of the content that I've dumped into them. It's like, when do we, when do we trust these new platforms enough that they're going to be secure and robust and well-trafficked where we literally just shut down the old paradigm uh, accounts and just leave Facebook, leave Instagram, leave Twitter, yeah. you know, don't use Google. Have our own our own thing. You know, it's. Uh, I think it's something that's going to. We're going to be forced, many of us, to make those jumps and make those decisions. True. Plus, yep. we'd like to because I I love the 
I love the platforms right now for their for what they were built for to reach people and communicate different ideas. But yeah. when they start to be controlled um, from the upper room there, it, uh, it gets very George Orwell and really bizarre and scary when you see like people being taken down now that are just at all critical of some of these like obviously controversial topics that really do need to be discussed in the interest of public health and just the future of our civil liberties. You know, it's just, it's yeah. insane. So it's, you know, it, and on the other side of that, it's all theater. And I, I recognize this whole thing is just kind of a game that is called life. And it all is uh, an illusion in one sense, meaning that it's just kind of part of the melodrama and we're just caught up in this myopic point of view in our evolution right now and all will be well. But uh, at the same time, I don't feel comfortable just sitting back and doing nothing and not saying anything and just going like, oh, it'll all work out in the end. It will. But you know, we have to put up some kind of a conscious fight or resistance or present at least alternatives to the direction things are going now. So that's that's kind of where I am with it. It's sort of this love-hate relationship with the technology. And and I'm watching people that I'm about to interview, like David Icke and um, Dr. <laughs> And now I'm like, holy shit, the London Reel, which is a very middle of the road, like I'm way more controversial than Brian Rose. And I have people on that are like way farther out there than he does, I think. Uh, But because his reach is so much bigger, now he's being kicked off LinkedIn and banned from YouTube. And it's like, that's that guy's livelihood. Just for giving a platform to someone like David Icke to give his opinions, whether they be valid or not, about like what this whole pandemic is and 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 all that it's just like it's getting really close to home for me now like oh shit now is when my own personal integrity is starting to get closer to that line like when do i sell out or not and do i start to edit myself or turn down requests for guests or not pursue certain guests because they're going to be controversial or get my revenue source cut off because i gave them a platform you know i think someone told me dr shiva just got banned from facebook and i'm like what like to me, he's not even controversial at all. <laughs> like he's yeah. just very common sense, you know. Um, so yeah, it's a strange time we live in, man. Um, I do want to cover with you though uh, a couple things that have been requested by people, and that is, um, you know, when it comes to the EMF issue, I don't think anyone with half a brain can argue that living surrounded by these invisible fields is unhealthy, and that. While we want to maintain a positive attitude and stay out of fear and anxiety, which compounds that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the the physical risks that we're enduring, uh, when we want to just be logical and try to mitigate those things, when it comes to our living environment, what what I always recommend to people is like they want to know what meters to buy and stuff. If I say if you live anywhere near a city or a large town, like just save the money on all the meters. And hire someone to come do, you know, uh, an analysis of your living environment, and then shield your kid's room and your bedroom, and at least while you sleep, live in as EMF-free environment as you can. And I think people are waking up to that concept of like, don't get caught up in the minutia of like what's happening. Just fix it in a blanket way, which can be quite expensive. Um, Maybe you can speak to that, but. when it comes to 5G and the different frequencies that are being used now and the millimeter waves, do the shielding paints and fabrics and all the things we can do to create 
a more harmonious environment within our homes or offices work? Like, is there a way to protect yourself against 5G? Like I have my lambs radiation proof underwear yeah. right now, which are one of my sponsors, my, like one of my favorite sponsors. Cause I like, thank God this company exists. We need more of this, like a whole, I want all my clothes to be EMF proof all the time, which is maybe, you know, an idea that I'll toy with at some point having a fashion background. Um, but are there simple things we can do without getting caught up in the paranoia to just make our bedroom safe, even against the on, the oncoming onslaught of all these new uh, frequencies that we're being bombarded with? Yeah, the um, the advanced solutions are still going to work. It's just a matter of ensuring that the paints you use, or there's uh, window films, or curtains, and uh, floor mats, and bed canopies, so different types of uh, of uh, sh- shielding fabric that use a kind of intertwined with silver or copper or even stainless steel. So all these technologies need to be. Uh, tested at higher frequencies down the road. Um, one of the problems is the labs. Uh, I, I'm not aware of labs that do it. Uh, if they do it, there are probably just a few around the world that do it. But eventually it will become more of a thing because right now they're not, there's not a lot of labs for these materials because there's not a lot of, a lot of uh, these frequencies being used for uh, many applications in, in, in today's society. So... Uh, it will evolve, and uh, companies come like uh, like Lamb will have to test their boxers at higher frequencies because it's a good question. You want to steal your box? Maybe you'll have to up, up, upgrade, like have the five G ready boxers. I mean, in the end, it's that is that as technology changes, we'll have to adapt to it. But I've seen that um, EMF blocking paints. I know that Y Shield and the uh, uh, T ninety eight Alpha from GeoVital that uh, Brian Hoyer uh, sometimes recommend. Uh, the, these two paints are, are ones that come to mind uh, are are good up to I think a hundred gigahertz have been tested if I'm not mistaken. So they they have shielding efficacy in these higher millimeter wave range. The I guess the good news in in the in in the midst of the terrible news of this entire podcast is that millimeter waves as have a uh, a difficult time getting through objects overall. So if you're inside a building, uh, it's a line of sight technology for a reason. It will have a difficult time entering your home per se if there's a lot of stuff blocking it. Uh, Wi-Fi is, can, can penetrate through wood and, and almost anything besides maybe if you have a lot of uh, rock or a, a big concrete concrete walls in a, in a condo, for example, would block it pretty well. But if you have a huge window, well, it's inviting the signals in. Come on. Uh, so, so basically, you, you have to keep that in mind but, and that the materials will evolve. And normally, EMF mitigation specialists, you mentioned Brian Hoyer, most building biologists, they're working on that actively. That's their livelihood. So I would, I would refer to them uh, and, and ask your questions like, will this last, right? If, I, if I'm to shield the room, will it last to 5G and then 6G? Well, 6G, we don't know because we don't even know what it's going to look like. So obviously, new problems will demand newer solutions as well. But normally it will last uh, and it, it will it, it can be tested in the higher millimeter wave range so that way you don't have to redo an entire like ten thousand dollar two bedroom shielding job for nothing right you don't you don't want to do that so normally they they are aware of the of the problem in that uh, it needs to be shielded against and I guess another use of millimeter wave range in the, in that range is the satellites and I mean 
I don't have, unfortunately, I'll have to leave in a few minutes here. But uh, that's it. That's another use where it will be global exposure to uh, power densities that can arguably be very high. So also people looking to shield have to think, uh, yeah, well, I'm a, in a rural area. There's no problem. No millimeter waves. Well, Elon Musk has a, has a, has a 42,000 satellite plan for you coming, coming around the, the globe. And he's not the only one. So a lot of corporations are doing global internet. It will mean that if you want to do a shielding job, you might as well uh, make sure that you block millimeter waves because some of it will be coming from the sky now. So, I mean, it's just... And again, geez, some people have been listening for, what, three hours and they're like, oh, come on, another problem? Well, (laughs) it's just new applications, right? So global internet on top of 5G and internet of things and whatnot. Why not? Because it will give free... almost free internet to everyone, at least one megabyte per second on an educational and democracy standpoint, it can be a good idea in theory. I think in practice it's a horrible idea simply because of the early of the science we have at the moment just doesn't support the idea that rolling satellites around the planet to send out signals towards everyone is a good idea. It's just quite the opposite. I think there will be global opposition. We're already seeing that a little bit, but it will be growing. And in the end, these enterprises like the satellites, I think they will fail. I think they've... uh, they put the, their eggs in in a, in a very dangerous basket, and I I just uh, recorded the, an episode uh, on on my podcast about that. Uh, that the insurers uh, you you will not find a, a big insurance company in the world who will uh, basically insure against health effects from EMFs. And Lloyd's of London, one of the biggest ones, has completely left the boat a few years back. And the top three reinsurers on the planet have left the boat. So what they say is they put provisions in all of their contracts. They do not cover for any health damages uh, related to EMFs. And that's because they're convinced not that uh, it, they're convinced that it's a huge liability, basically, because they're like, eh, well, it's kind of a carcinogen and it's being rolled out everywhere. So I, we're not paying for that. And it's been, it's been in the discussion for decades, even back when the first lawsuits for uh, alligated uh, brain cancers being caused by, by cell phones uh, in, in the early days of Nokia, uh, the already insurers were starting to say, oh my God, this is probably the next asbestos. So we're going to kind of move away from that. So it just tells you that, well, <laughs> who's going to pay? It's probably the users, not, not the companies. Uh, but keep that in mind when, when you do anything at home that basically the, the, you can do two things. The first thing you can do is get rid of your, your devices, turn them off, remove them, not have them. It's easier said than done. You do one step at a time. I'm, I'm not for a... I, I'm not a, an extremist and, or for a, a judgmental approach to people who have Bluetooth things and whatnot, but minimize your exposure. So it means if you have a Bluetooth toaster, well, okay, good for you, but unplug it. Make sure it's not on 24-7. Plug it when you need it or maybe when you leave home and you want your freaking toast to be ready in time. I don't know what fancy use you want from your technology. And if you're into these things, fine, but it won't support your health and it will probably do the opposite. So just keep that in mind, minimize your use, turn off Wi-Fi, try to go wired. And then the second thing you can do is to shield against your environment. 
the stuff you cannot turn off, the satellites and the 5G. And, and it, what you've said, Luke, is exactly that. Shield, shielding the bedroom is the number one thing to do. Shielding an entire place, if you have the means to do it, it could be a thing. But the bedroom is so important. And um, Brian, uh, I, I, I've done a, a collaboration uh, lately with Brian Hoyer. We're going to actually... Uh, I don't know when it's going to be posted, but we're, we're, we're working on a course. And basically, we're teaching people how to clean up their environment. And when it comes to the exterior, the best you can do, again, is just shield your bedroom. It, it, it's, it's an investment. There's no like magic thing that you can install that much that's going to protect you 100%. The, the shielded room will protect you 100% at night. It can essentially bring you back to a very, very natural level. and just Make your body more resilient. I guess it's it's it's, it's akin to deciding to to living in New York City and and never wanting to breathe in poisonous air. Well, how do you do that exactly? You wear a mask like an N95 day in day out. People don't do that. They breathe in the smog, right? So at home you might have the EPA filters in your bedroom, right? So it's the same idea. Think about it in this way. Try to control your home, your stuff, your bedroom as best as you can. And then if you live in New York City and you have lungs problem, maybe it's time to move, right? Same thing for electrosmog. You feel sensitive, you 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 struggle, you have so many health issues. Well, maybe it's time to uh, to move on to another place. Well, I think that's a, a sober analysis and recommendation and uh, falls in, in line with what I've always recommended people. And I'll, I'll just add to that. I think that it's really important uh, rather than trying to become an engineer yourself, save up some money, hire a building biologist like our mutual friend, Brian Hoyer, to yeah, yeah. accurately assess your house because... Things could be a lot better than you think they are within your house. I have a friend of mine who just had this uh, other guy who's in LA named uh, Oram Oram Miller, who's a big. Oh yeah, he's one of the top ones. Very very nice guy. My my buddy's place, and he sent me an email. He said, "Man, he came out and he said in my inside there's a couple things I got to tweak, but basically inside my house is like as good as camping." Wow. I don't know who he lives in, but. He might have been freaked out. Oh, I'm getting 5G radiation. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get cancer. And you get a guy that comes in with $30,000 worth of meters and knows how to use them and does a test and is like, nah, you're actually pretty good. You're on a great block right here. You're next to the ocean or in a valley or you know whatever the case may be. So I think in some cases, your, your exposure is much worse than you think it's going to be. And in some cases, it's not, it's not actually that bad. So saving up a few hundred bucks, I mean, I think most of these guys probably charge Eight hundred, a thousand dollars, or you know, depending on the size of your home. If you're in a smaller apartment, it could be less. But getting someone who's got the gear, knows how to use it, and can come give you like a unbiased scientific appraisal of what your environment looks like, and then make some recommendations in terms of what the highest priority, lowest hanging fruit issues are. For me, for example, in my home, uh, one of the reasons I moved to this house is because it has it had no RF here at all. There was no cell service. And I was like, yes. Nice. Of course, I, I didn't think that through. That meant now I have to have Wi-Fi on in the house all the time. <laughs> Otherwise, my phone won't work. So I was like, God damn it, kind of shot myself in the foot on that one. But at least I'm not next to a cell tower. And then what I discovered was, which I had no way of testing for when I came and looked at this place, uh, was that there's bad wiring in the house. And in some of the areas of mm. the house, there's insanely high magnetic fields because there's ungrounded wires or something wacky going on with the circuit breaker, et cetera. And so now when I sleep, I've elected to manually turn off 
the breakers in the bedroom to stop that magnetic field. I would have never known that though. And I could have bought a bunch of meters off Amazon and tried to figure it out. I would have never been able to figure out that's what was causing that without a professional coming in and, you know, turning one breaker off and testing and turning it back on and testing. And I mean, Brian Hoyer was in here for hours uh, testing everything to discover that. And then, you know, the quickest fixes to mitigate it. So I just tell people like, don't, why, you don't need to learn all this shit yourself. There's someone else who's made a living and a, and a life mission out of learning it. Just hire them and listen to what they say. You know, I agree. I agree a hundred percent. You know, a lot of people try to even shield by themselves or ask me, yeah, I'm kind of doing this. Like what, what is the best shielding materials? And I'm like, well, I wouldn't even play with it myself, even with my experience, because I don't have the hands-on engineering side of it. So I would hire, uh, Exactly what you said. That's that. That's perfect advice, right there. It's like if your if your toilet was spewing, God knows what everywhere. <laughs> would you get out your wrenches and try to fix your goddamn plumbing? No, you call a plumber. Like that's their job. Same thing. Same F, thing. F mitigation specialists or building biologists, and that's their job. And they'll come in and and like I said, you might be pleasantly surprised that your house is relatively mellow depending on where you live. It's kind of a it's a it's a roulette or you know, kind of a crapshoot on how bad it's going to be. Um, and and you might be really good in one area of, you know, you're not getting cell tower exposure, but you have a magnetic field. And that might be much easier to fix than moving your entire life to a different neighborhood because you're in, you know, in the line of fire of a cell tower or something like that. So um, with that, I also like to add um, that we're all going to leave these bodies at some point and that being totally paranoid and living in a, you know, excited state, a sympathetic nervous system state where you're feeling like everything around you is trying to kill you is probably worse for you than your Wi-Fi router being on in your office. Yeah. There, you know? So it's like that delicate balance of awareness and just kind of surrendering and letting go and understanding there's many things that are just outside of our control. I mean, you know, if Elon Musk is evil enough to pop satellites in the air that send down 60 gigahertz of radiation all over an entire swath of land, then like, what are you going to do? You know, you, you, you can't leave earth right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> exactly. Oh, maybe that there will be a reason to go to Mars. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> He's going to like create a problem and then offer us the solution, you know, the Mars camp. That's are- awesome. Made a great business move, you know, make the earth in- uninhabitable and then create, you know, a, a fake habitat somewhere else. Uh, well, I think, man, I think we covered it. God knows, you know, we've been going seven and a half hours here, um, whatever it's been. So I want to thank you for your time and expertise. And uh, I'd like to perhaps check in again uh, in the near future and maybe do another episode where we kind of give an update on some of the EMF issues and things that you're discovering. Because I know you're, sure. on, you're on the front lines of this. So you're a great resource to really get um, you know, get a snapshot of where we are. And it's, of course, evolving and changing all the time. So. Uh, thank you for doing the work that you do. Tell us about your book, website. Let's let's drive some traffic over to your social media and all of those things. Sure. Just go to uh, theemfguy.com. It's my new website. Everything is on there. My my book is called The Non-Tinfoil Guide to EMFs. It's found on my website. There's also Amazon. But who knows? Eventually, maybe it will disappear from Amazon. So that's why. That's part of the reason why I started printing my own books and shipping them from a warehouse in Michigan. So now if Amazon bans me, well, I'll still sell my book by myself. So 
trying to, uh, I'm still on social media platforms. If you want to check me out on YouTube, I have a few videos there on Facebook, uh, Nick Pino, but that's a complicated name. Just go to my main website and you'll find all my resources. And uh, eventually, I don't know when you're going to listen to this, but I'm all going to come up with a course, How to Clean Your Home uh, with Brian Hoyer. We don't even have a name for it yet, but it's in the projects, probably this summer, uh, once people... Uh, once life restarts. Uh, and I hope that uh, everyone loved the, the episode. And again, I mean, I'm not the, a COVID expert by any mean, but at least I, I want to uh, invite everyone to ask questions. That's important. Not, not, not think that you know everything or uh, start uh, fighting on the internet over arguments, or, but ask questions. Where are the conflicts of interest? The questions that journalists should be asking, really, but they're not. So ask questions. Well, are these numbers valid? What are the numbers? And, and we're going to get through this. In, in a few weeks, things will have calmed down as far as COVID goes, especially if you're listening to this on April 16th. Uh, and after the fact, we're going to be able to look at the situation um, and look at the data. And if it, it turns out that COVID wasn't the problem it was um, displayed to be, well, we can keep certain people accountable for the panic or at least keep that in mind for the future. Maybe we, we've overreacted and what has happened and then we'll have a calm um, discussion about it and we'll be able to point towards this, this event being maybe when humanity uh, uh, fell into a little bit of uh, panic for a while that wasn't granted who knows but there's going to be great lessons that's going to come out of it uh, if you want my opinion most definitely i think we're on the verge of a global awakening as a result of the the jumping the shark of the, <laughs> of the powers that be on the thing. um in closing tell us who three teachers or teachings uh, have been in your life that have influenced your work that our audience might be able to go learn some more from Geez, uh, one is a guy you, you won't be able to, uh, to learn from. He's, uh, his name is Salvatore Scali. Uh, he's a copywriter uh, who taught me really, uh, gave me the, the, the love of writing. And that's when I, I was doing copywriting for TV, for mainstream media of all things, doing uh, TV promos for shows that, uh, to, like reality shows and whatnot. It was, it was, it was a good patch for, for three years in 2010, but he taught me so many things about, I guess that's why I, I can do persuasive uh, selling. And that's why I'm able to sell my information. I think without that, I would be a struggling author trying to make a point, but really without the, the business skills behind it. Um, geez, another one. Well, I want to mention, I want to mention Brian Hoyer. Geez, he's a, he's a colleague, but, uh, he's a, he's a pioneer in a lot of things he does. Uh, we communicate often. We're going to do a new course together. And uh, he's been an inspiration, kind of the same age as me, but he has, uh, uh, four, he has his, his fifth now. No, his fourth, his fourth daughter, I think, or is it? I think he has another son. Anyway, he's a father of four, traveling all around the world. Very nice inspiration to me. And uh, another one I mentioned, geez, um, I would say um, Professor Ole Johansson from Sweden, who's a 
a kind man uh, who has supported my work tremendously, gave me inc incredible props, and he's a high-level scientist uh, with over 600 studies he has done his, in his long career. And he's still uh, fighting the good fight, trying to inform governments all around the world, doing presentations in at, at the parliament in different countries, European countries. And uh, he's a big inspiration because he's such a nice man. And he's... He's, uh, he knows the problem, but he always stays so calm and happy still. So I, even after an entire life studying that topic. So that's, I guess that's it. Awesome, man. Thank you. Thanks for the recommendations. And uh, thanks for coming on the show, man. I look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you, man. It was, it, it was awesome. Anytime. Well, uh, don't say I didn't warn you. I knew that this episode was going to be a mind blower. And if you're hearing my voice right now at the end of three hours or whatever this conversation was, you are a diehard Lifestylist podcast listener. And for that, I thank you so much. Now, if you made it to the end of the show and uh, you're still standing, your head's not spun off and flown off into space, I'm guessing that you're already on the email list and getting the show notes and the links to the transcripts for every episode, right? You're not? Are you kidding me? And you just sat through this whole conversation? Listen, here's what you got to do. Get over to lukestory.com forward slash newsletter, enter your name and email, and I will very respectfully send you an email every time I release a podcast with the complete time-stamped show notes clickable links and uh, links to the complete transcript. In other words, every word spoken in every episode like this in a written document that you can peruse. I know as a listener to podcasts myself, I find it really frustrating when somebody's dropping a lot of valuable information or mentioning a book or a product or a resource that I want to go look up and I have to stop what I'm doing and try to screen grab and remember it or take a note or something like that. It's, uh, it's very tedious. And so I want to take that issue out of your life and just send you everything. So again, go to lukestory.com forward slash newsletter or even easier, if you happen to be on a US phone, you can just text me. Text this word, lifestylist, just one word, lifestylist to the number 44222. So get out your text app right now. Just do it. Just do it right now. You know what I mean? Why not? Can't kill you. It's just unsubscribe if you don't like it. It's that easy. Uh, but seriously, uh, get your text app out enter the number 44222. Then in the body of the text, enter the word, all one word, lifestylist, click send. I'm going to text you back for your name and email. And then uh, when our next show gets released like this one, you'll get um, all the goodies for it. Let's thank our sponsors. We've got Cured Nutrition. These guys make some amazing CBD and uh, herbal products. Some of them help you sleep. Some of them wake you up and are nootropics that help brain function. They got a lot of cool stuff. You can find it at curednutrition.com. If you use the code lifestylist at curednutrition.com, you're going to save 15%. Then we've got our old standbys for Sigmatic. Man, I love these guys. Just about every day of my life, I put their reishi and chaga packets into my coffee. And if I don't... Uh, put those into my coffee, then I'm using their instant coffee. These guys just make fantastic products. They've been with the show forever. You can find them at foursigmatic.com forward slash Luke story. The code there is the lifestylist. It saves you 15% off. And uh, one of the thing that's really cool about four sigmatic is they're so portable. So if you ever had the opportunity to see my carry on bags, <laughs> when I travel, they are always littered with the four sigmatic packets 
of various types. And then finally, our sponsor, Blue Blocks. You can find their blue blocking eyewear and their wonderful remedy sleep mask at blueblocks.com. That's B-L-U-B-L-O-X. And the code there is lifestylist for 15% off. Also, Nick had a free gift for you guys about 5G. So if you're interested, uh, he's going to hook you up for free. Go to theemfguy.com, 5G in 5. That's theemfguy.com, 5G in 5, which is the guide that takes you about five minutes to read that explains all things 5G to you. So if this information went over your head, that guide uh, most certainly will not. I've got a bunch of upcoming events. I'm hoping they don't change. I'm just going to announce them now. But just know you can always go to lukestory.com forward slash events for updates, changes, tickets, etc. I'll be going to literally my favorite place in the entire world. That's true. I'm not even exaggerating. It's called Cuixmala. It's a resort in Mexico, uh, just south of uh, Puerto Vallarta. And uh, it's insane. It's just the coolest place ever. I went there last year and did a podcast with the owner Alix, and I'll be back there for the Healing Power of Energy, where I'll be live streaming and uh, doing interviews and all kinds of stuff this epic week, uh, June 17th through 24th. And uh, by the way, make sure you follow me on Instagram, at Luke Story, and you can watch me live stream every talk that I do, every interview that I do, anytime I do anything of value or interest, or sometimes just silly, goofy, living my life stuff that... <laughs> might be entertaining in some way. Uh, I live stream it on Instagram. I'm like Instagram live stream maniac. Uh, so follow me there at Luke Story. Anyway, back to the events. I'll be out in Austin for Paleo FX, July 14th through 16th. Upgrade Labs Conference in Beverly Hills, July 24th through 26th. Meet Delic, a psychedelic symposium in Los Angeles. I'm really excited about that. I'll be speaking alongside Dave Asprey and uh, Chris Ryan and Duncan Trussell and all kinds of great people. Meet Delic is August 8th and 9th. And then back to London for the Health Optimization Summit, September 12th and 13th. Again, go to lukestory.com forward slash events for updated dates and tickets. And with that, man, I just want to thank you. I want to thank our guest, Nicholas Pino. You know, his name is spelled P-I-N-E-A-U-L-T. When I got on the call with him, I said, what is it? It's, it's Pinault, right? Right, man? It's Nick Pinault. He's like, no, it's Pinot, like the wine. So now you know. I didn't know. We're all learning here. But great guy. Uh, you know, just good energy, man. A very positive dude. Not a doomsdayer. When it comes to the EMF stuff, um, fine line between awareness and paranoia. You know what I mean? And sometimes I fall into the paranoia because it there is a lot to be afraid of in reality. But uh, I think Nick has a way of presenting it. Uh, with some balance and common sense and, uh, you know, just a curiosity. And I think the way that he presented his uh, interpretation of the COVID-19 shutdown, et cetera, was also refreshing and, um, and a bit different than some of the other people I've been speaking to that are a little more hardcore, uh, such as Dr. Shiva, uh, Dr. Cowan, uh, Dr. Buttar, the other people that I have or will be interviewing on the subject, which are just way more, uh, I would say, firm in their opinions about what's going on. This was a different take, and I really appreciated this. And I appreciate you listening. And uh, with everything going on in terms of censorship right now, it's more important than ever that we uh, have the freedom to share our different ideas and points of view. You know, it's funny, I was looking at 
I never, I never look at my own YouTube account. I don't know why. I, I think, oh, I know what I was, <laughs> yeah, I know what I was doing. I went on YouTube to see if my episode with Dr. Thomas Cowan got censored because the name of the episode was Solving the Wuhan 5G COVID-19 Mystery. And the other videos of Dr. Thomas Cowan with similar names were just ripped from YouTube because they are satanic. And so I went to see if mine had been taken down uh, because I used some code language. I spelled things a little differently. I, I think I spelled like Wuhan, uh, like W-O-O-H-A-N and 5G spelled out F-I-V-E, et cetera, to see if I could bypass the uh, censorship. And I did at, at the time of you know my looking that video up, it was still there. And then I happened to glance down at the comments and some guy was like, guy terry i remember his name for some reason he's like this is misinformation i'm reporting you <laughs> like are you serious do, do you like do these people know anything about history do they understand i mean first off terry you're a tattletale and a snitch and a rat and nobody likes rats um second of all you look to be a grown-ass man so like honestly you can't find anything better to do than troll my video that has like 2,000 views or something i really don't think i'm gonna have too negative of an impact even if it is misinformation which i don't think it is at any rate uh terry the snitch wanted to report me and i'm going it, it, did you look at what <laughs> what happened in uh in germany in in the 30s and into the early 40s sir um this is where it begins and uh it's when one body of people or one individual person decides that their point of view is the only point of view and anyone that disagrees with them or is thinking outside the box should be shut down and called misinformation i mean if you want to talk about misinformation Let's go back to uh, the Iraq war and the, you know, as I said in this interview, I don't know if, if you heard that part, but, you know, the tens of thousands of people that died as a result of the misinformation on the news. Now, not all information on the news, even CNN, which I get a lot of shit for giving them shit because that people think I'm trying to be Donald Trump or Alex Jones or something. I just noticed that they lie a lot. I'm sure Fox News does all of them, the BBC, all of them. They're not all wrong all of the time. And there's many amazing, great, loving, kind, intelligent human beings working within mainstream media. There, I said it. Uh, just like in all of the governments around the world. But there are also a lot of bad actors. And there's a lot of corruption and conflicts of interest, as our guest Nick uh, so intelligently illuminated for us. So... I said all that to say this. I think it's more important now than ever that we truly support our right to free speech and freedom of press so that not only people like me can say what I want to say, because of course I think I'm right about things, like we all think we're right about things, but so that the people that I vehemently disagree with have a right to say what they feel is correct at any given time. So let's please stand up for free speech. Share this episode with as many people as you can and, and feel called to and share any independent media that you find to be valid or thought provoking or interesting. This is the only way we can get around this current draconian big tech censorship that we're finding ourselves uh, in at the moment. It is a very slippery slope and, you know, they start with the fringe conspiracy theorists, which by the way is a term, you know, invented by the CIA, right? Right. Uh, to discredit people that question the narrative 
that's th- that's pushed down our throats. Uh, but you know, they start with someone who's more fringe, and then they work their way toward the center, and that's what's happening now. And it's the first time, honestly, I've ever been afraid of getting banned from one of the platforms or something like that just for entertaining a guest that has a different point of view. When you look at what happened recently to Brian Rose, the host of the London Reel, when he had the audacity to have David Icke on his show to prevent to present his views. I mean, God forbid you let someone talk, you know? It's like, wow, it's really, really gnarly. I'm not afraid of a lot, but I have to say I am afraid of censorship and the loss of the First Amendment because what happens after that is the loss of the Second Amendment. And again, going back to history, when those two fundamental human rights, the right to defend yourself and the right to speak your mind are removed, well, next thing uh, comes the gulags. You know what I'm saying? So uh, let's all stick together here. I think we all, regardless of um, political leanings, religious leanings, race, creed, color, gender, etc. We can all agree in freedom, man. And that's what we all, I think, are going for is the ability to live our lives as uninterrupted as possible, provided we are not harming other people. And that's my position on that. So let's get past the censorship. Let's uh, come up with other platforms that allow us to be more free. I know myself and a number of my colleagues and peers and guests on the show we have groups on an app what's it called i have it here on my phone it's called telegram i was just invited into this fascinating private group with a bunch of uh free thinkers and it's it's amazing the information that's being shared and um i think pretty soon things like instagram and facebook and twitter are going to become things of the past because they've sold their souls and um they're no longer uh, places where we can freely share information so I'm going to shut up now because at this point, I've probably pushed this episode into the four hour mark. And again, if you're hearing my voice now and you made it to the end and I truly love you, even if you don't agree with me, I love you so much and thank you for listening. And I know that we're all going to pull through this. We're in the midst of a global awakening and I'm happy to be along for the ride. Thank you for joining me and I'll be back on Tuesday with Jim Quick. 